everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Why does Dr. Kara Miller know so much about developing incredible leaders? It could be her education in the field or her many years of experience, but maybe it's her seemingly innate ability to perceive and read complex systems and people. This is what truly sets her apart from other coaches. Well, that and her no bullshit approach turning a mountain of information and human feedback into a roadmap to success and fulfillment, it is complicated, but it is Dr. Kara Miller's jam. So pop quiz, hotshot, what is your purpose and importance? If you can't name it, then it is likely part of the reason your organization feels muddled with misdirection. Step one, listen now. This is episode 497. Gotta make this run no time, one, two, I'm on this end. <laughs> Look at you always busting out your Buddy Holly glasses. Every time I see you, got the Buddy Hollies. We look just like Buddy Holly. I haven't oh, I thought of that song in a long time, but yeah. I know. It's, I actually was going through my mind when I saw you thinking of Weezer. That's funny. Oh, My children think that Weezer sang the the first version of Africa. You oh, know, God. Not with a version of it. I was like, people, no. Toto. I have seen Toto in concert, and Whoa. I'm telling you, they have a they have a better grip on Africa than Weezer. Nothing against Weezer, but uh, I think that whole thing got done because a fan recommended that they need to record that. Well, they that the, it's the Teal That's album. Good. They just covered ten or so oh. '80s songs, oh. and that was just the release, like the oh, title fair. track. Look at you, just coming in, Mr. McQuilkin with the big uh, brain. Hi, you guys. How are you? On We're oh. good. We're good. How are you? Long time no see. I know. And thank you for rescheduling with me, you know, for ceremonial purposes today. <laughs> what were you uh, what, what were you doing today? It was a ribbon cutting? Yeah, we were groundbreaking, actually. So it's like the golden shovel thing for our school. We're building new campus, new gym, new athletic facilities and stuff like that. So, um, yes, and I have the esteemed privilege of serving on the board. I'm an alumni and my kids go there. So, um, and you know, I wear glasses like these, so they figure somebody's smart and they got to have them in the she picture. And, uh, I did the exact <laughs> same thing in college. I, uh, I wore glass yeah. or my, my eyesight was not good, but I started wearing glasses and I wore glasses all through college so that I could get taken more seriously. Oh, wow. uh, and I've, I've told these guys the story, but, um, my freshman <laughs> year I had a class and it was taught by a professor named Pedro Nogueira, who's actually a pretty famous dude now. I mean, all these years, I, I looked him up recently. And he made a good point where he was like, hey, uh, if you're an athlete, don't wear your stuff. Like, like don't wear sweats. Don't wear, like, uh, any of oh, your gear. Yeah. Like, wear a sure. collared shirt, wear jeans. And he's like, you should wear glasses to be okay. taken more seriously. He goes, what's going to happen is you're going to get pigeonholed. Professors are going to come in. They're going to see you as a jock. And you're never going to break that out. And uh, he yeah. was actually excellent. He was like, hey, stereotypes exist for a reason. Of and course. he's like, we can pretend that they don't exist, but we know. He goes, everybody has confirmation bias. Everybody has bias. And you can either uh, pretend it doesn't exist and get fucked by it, or yeah. you can just take advantage of it and realize it exists and figure out how to navigate it. Well, and they tell the same thing to hot chicks. You know, put on a pair of glasses, you know, dress professionally. And like, oh, sorry, they're stereotypes. So you want to be taken seriously? So same, you know, like it's a stereotype here it is, a young person, whatever. And as long as you know, you've got, you know, who your identity is, right? You're not trying to play some other identity. Uh, you're good, you know, but like you got to work. This is the system we're working in, right? It's context. 
we're going to adjust to context. Um, so yeah, that's that. <laughs> I think we clinically solved that. <laughs> yeah. Next thing you know, we'll ta tackle a couple more of these problems. Um, Fair. Okay. So doc, I mean, obviously you're a Loma power athlete radio and, um, you know, symposium and all that, but could you give the uh, listeners who might not be familiar with you, if there's somebody hiding under a rock, maybe that doesn't know who Dr. Kara Miller is, could you give us a little, uh, 10,000 foot view, a little macro and we'll tune in from there. Yes. Well, more and more, I'm categorizing myself as a learner, um, a learner of how to translate my craft to the constraints and context. Given what we've been going through as a global collective <laughs> for the last 18 months, uh, that's been required for me, my children, my clients, the leaders that I coach. So I coach leaders and I help them lead and design and develop their systems in a way that they are ready to adjust. They're ready to be agile and they can transform according to whatever the industry is asking for from them, whatever the market will bear and whatever the people inside their system are unleashing. And so leaders are my jam. And they also, to me, are the most fascinating people regardless of industry because they're in pursuit of this like adjustment and adaptation and learning the context in order to change rather than complaining about it and whining. And, you know, that's just, those are not interesting people to me. So um, <laughs> there you go. I'm a coach. I, I coach leaders. <laughs> so it, um, whenever you think about a leader, I mean, there's also a lot of ego in play with a lot of uh, people that would classify themselves as leaders. And a lot of times people with big egos are the least malleable and the most difficult to change and especially to admit fault and to potentially make a pivot takes a little bit of, uh, I don't know, maybe humble or just, you know, mm -hmm. having been burned enough times in business to realize that I might not know everything and I probably need to, you know, be more like a, a reed in the wind than I do like a solid oak tree sometimes. So how do you delve into that and like deal with people's ego and potentially coaching people that have probably had a lot of success by just fucking being who they are. <clears throat> this is an interesting question for you guys too, to like, so join in with me here, right? Yeah, like no, how I'm, I'll be more, more than happy you, to jump on in. Right. Lead, check your ego, get awareness of it. Who, who were the people who made it safe enough for you to acknowledge that that was at play uh, and didn't shame it or didn't make it a negative thing. Like you need to shove your ego down or you need to dismantle your ego or whatever. It's like, no, no, ego is another constraint that you, it's on you to integrate it. And if you don't do a good job of getting awareness and integrating your own ego, the whole system will reflect it and will suffer and it will be the limit. So one of the things I like to say as like a, a theorem or something of leader development is the founder is the limit. And that is not a popular thing with people who have not gotten awareness of their own ego or not been willing to integrate it or whatever. If they've been hiding that for a long time and taught their people to hide it for them too, um, the founder is the limit is not a safe. That's too dangerous to go there. Um, so people who are in pursuit who are going to ask, Hey, ego's got to be a part of this. Like, tell me what it, that 
you know, the, the founder is the limit sounds interesting to them. They're like, Ooh, like, Oh, let's check that out. Um, and for people who can't do that, then, then we got to back it up, um, and figure out like, where do you see the reflection of you and your experience and your preferences in your people and your systems that you've built? And that most people can see because that actually, it sort of feeds the ego while we're getting awareness of the ego. So if you are like, yeah, man, because I built this thing, what's up? That's me, that's me, that's me, that's me. Um, We can also figure out, okay, and then the things that are unsatisfying to you, what parts of those are a reflection of you too, that's a, there, there's an intermediate, like that's not so dangerous, but it is a step of like sort of radical responsibility. Like, oh yeah, like I built the thing and the thing reflects me. So I've got to get a handle on the me that's reflected so that we can tinker with it. So there's awareness and some distance. Um, the people who are not up for that conversation, like they don't even want to taste it. Or they're not talking to me, right? Like they're talking to people who are mirrors that just reinforce everything they do, right? And there's a there's a an endless list of people with my job who are willing to do that, unfortunately. Uh, but we don't end up in conversation because I'm a kind of a bullshit cutter and I have a lot of knives for cutting bullshit. So we don't do that, you know. Yeah, <laughs> anyway, no, I, I love it. You, I love what it. say you? That I, was. A little, I, yeah. I, I um, I've always said uh, um. You know, uh, a lot of times, like you said, the founder is the limit. I always think that uh, I never want to be the bottleneck. And ah. I think it's all, all time, you know, like that is the thing I fight against and I find myself to be the bottleneck. And a lot of that is just finding capable people around you that you can be like, you know what, I'm paying you a salary. You're a, a college graduate. As my dad used to say when I'd ask him questions, he'd like, you're a college graduate, aren't you? You should be able to figure this shit out, which was such a condescending thing to say. Uh, assuming that you know, somehow college is the marker for intelligence. And I think he used to say that tongue in cheek, but um, you know, you bring in people that you hope are capable uh, and it's very hard to tell if somebody's capable first day. It takes a long time to see whether or not somebody kind of fits, but that idea of like being the bottleneck uh, and I think that's where the majority of this stuff kind of fails, where if, if I have to be the conduit for every single decision, then not only do I not uh, create anything, I'm just literally just kind of like, you know, managing little kids at a birthday party. Yes. Which nobody wants to do. P.S. I had a, one yesterday at Sky Zone. My daughter's friend had a thing. Oh my gosh. Are nobody they the, wants uh, to work ultimate air Ball. jumping things? Yeah. Get air Sky Zone. Where Nobody wants to work there. In fact, one of my daughters was like, what are these people doing? They don't even care. I'm like, of course they don't care. They're not paid, paid to care. They're paid for liability purposes. But yeah, yeah so same with, CEOs or same with founders or same with leaders, right? Like if they operate like the get air zone operators, like next, 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 like if there's a break, call 911, like the whole system will operate like that. And if you wonder why, like they are, if the system is a reflection of the founder, the leader, the designer until they give it away or they get out of the way or they design and like they invite people to the design lab to design it a different way. And yes, that takes time to develop, takes time to test and see like who's trustworthy and, and what's crazy. This is kookier to me. And that is you design the system in the best way you can when you're the founder, cause you're just bootstrapping it. You're, you're startup mode. 
And then later, if you try to go back in and say, okay, now I'm going to design a lot of myself out of this in order to unleash it, the system will push back on you. They'll try to pull you back into founder role. They'll try to pull you back in designer role. They'll try to default to all your preferences and all your strengths. And so that like hesitation or the ability to still forge forward when the system wants to pull you back into role, that is harder. And that's sometimes where this fails, where a founder either is like, okay, fuck it, sell it. Because I I tried to get out of the bottleneck, but the thing actually wouldn't let me. And they sort of like halt there. So that's the turn that's really hard to make is to really give it away and to really go redesign. And like one of my favorite images for leaders who are in this bind um, is like, are you a solo kind of scientist in your lab, like you're at the microscope and you're like, I will come back with a great solution. You know, there's a problem out here. Let me go in my lab. I'll come back with something great. Or are they willing at this point to swing open the doors and invite people in? Everybody's got lab coats. We're going to start a bunch of experiments. We're going to burn some things up. We're going (laughs) to take a few temperatures. And now we're yeah. And that like now we're a team of scientists. So we don't have one Bunsen burner. Everybody watch me boil the distill the thing, the gold. But now we're all kind of in it. And and that's hard. That's hard to mature too. That's a difficult thing to build too. And I confess that is my limit. Like it's hard for me to like open up my lab and be like, okay, help me distill my training or my expertise, whatever distinction I have. Let's Let's break it together. Let's open it up. I mean, I'm trying that, but th- my fails are in that direction as a leader, as a business owner, as a founder, you know, what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, uh, um, I recently, uh, it's about six months ago, I got on the phone um, with a guy who's, you know, super successful and I was just looking for some mentorship uh, and he made a really interesting point. He said, in business, there's three types of people. There's the pioneer, the person that goes out, you know, proof of concept, there's nothing there, you know, uh, you know, digs a well, puts up a structure, starts building it. That's kind of that proof of concept kind of pioneer goes out there into the wilderness. And then after time, all of a sudden the settler comes in and he builds walls and starts to create like infrastructure and, you know, gets everybody kind of moving. And then the next phase is the town planner, the person that comes in and this is where we're going to have city hall and we need this and starts uh, progressing. And he's like, you know, sometimes people are lifetime pioneers. They like to show up by themselves in the middle of nowhere, you know, uh, wild animals coming to get you and keeping them off with a fire in this fist fight of, you know, uh, proof of concept. Fuck it. Let's do it live. And then, uh, yeah. you know, the, the next person comes in, sees the idea and helps it grow. And then finally that le- next person comes in and that's where it really grows into something else. And we went through a whole bunch of different case studies on it. And uh, I thought it was a, 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 it was extremely impactful for me. Started looking at like different employees and people and be like, that guy's a lifetime pioneer. He might've been the person I needed at this point, but now I need somebody that moves in this direction. And I think the, the pioneer, he can hunt, he can dig, he can build, he can shoot, he can do all these things. But then when you get into the, the settler and the town planner, like this guy builds a fence. And so the thing is, as you continue to grow, you have to look for different people. And instead of looking for like the jack of all trades pioneer, now you're in this settler mode where you have to find people that are more targeted 
And instead of just being like, hey, fuck it, we'll go out there and you know figure it out. And he said the hardest thing to do as a founder, CEO, and the person kind of guiding it is making that transitional shift in your mind from like, hey, we're not a startup anymore. We've been doing this 10 years. What's the next piece? How do I get to this next goal? Setting goals that aren't just like proof of concept and then finding markers to get there. And then the next thing was realizing that as the CEO and founder, I might not be the person who CEOs it into the town planner and realize like you had this vision, this founder, but you might have to find somebody operationally that comes in and is like, hey, I see what you did and I'm not kicking you out, but like move over a little bit. Let me get in there. And he's like, that's uh, that's the next evolution. And um, I think it's uh, the reason I ask you about ego is I think about all this time. Uh, my dad made a point to me years ago where he said egos killed more people than cancer. And he goes, more, more businesses have been destroyed, more relationships, more marriages. And he was a, a criminal defense attorney. And he's like, I had to, uh, when he first started, he was doing divorces and he got out of that cause it was too ugly. It was actually easier to represent murderers and criminals than it was to do divorces cause they were so ugly. And he made a good point where he's like, I've seen people, nuclear companies and this and bankrupt themselves out of ego. And he goes, don't ever let ego be the pivot that destroys you. And so I think back on my life and like, you know, there were some ego driven decisions that totally screwed me. And if I don't look back at those and be like, is ego the reason that this isn't, you know, and like, I I constantly think about that, whether it be with my kids, my wife, the business, people I deal with, like, I want to remove the ego and be like, okay, success and progress is, is the marker for success. I don't need to feed my inner child. I don't need to feel that somehow I was nurtured at the end of the day. It's about success. And, you know, we learned that playing on teams. Uh, but like those two pieces for me were super impactful within the six of the last six months in terms of understanding direction and being like, all right, we, you know, we got to transition and there are these pieces and ego just can't be the downfall. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that because the reflection on like these six months, (laughs) like this has been going on is like a leader discipline or a leader behavior that isn't very common. Um, and, 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 and what's my piece of that? Or like, what's my role in that? Am I a block? Am I a catalyst? Am I whatever, like taking it in those chunks. So just thank you, um, for doing that and for talking about it on the radio. Um, (laughs) and that, um, okay. So another thing I want to say about that is you're right as the perception or your perspective on ego starts to mature as a founder. The other thing that has to mature along with it past that startup phase or past that design buzz, you know, where everyone's in on the design and it's like growing and we're like, let's show and go. And like, we made it happen. You know, that buzz, which is undeniable is how do you learn a new set of motivations for yourself and other people? Because the, the temptation to keep the rah-rah motivation of we're a startup, we're cracking the market. Like, no one's here or we're going to disrupt the big guy or those kinds of motivations have to mature. If the leader is going to be allowed to mature, if the business is going to be allowed to mature or the cause, I mean, it can be anything, it could be Wade's army. It could be whatever. Right. Um, that, that the understanding intentionally of 
changing the motivation and addressing that kind of motivation, maturing the motivation, that's something that gets forgotten. So they try to use the old set of motivation, which is this startup buzz. We're, we're just, we're making it by hook or by crook. And they just try to use that to the new thing. We're evolving. It's 2.0, like this kind of an idea. And it's like, okay, no, it doesn't, doesn't carry it. So to actually evolve, to actually innovate and to allow the founder to, to do that, you've got to find some sort of deeper set of motivations, which if you can, is actually much more interesting. It's much more sustainable. It's much more meaningful uh, relationships experience, kind of an evolution alongside of it and some intimacy and right. So instead of getting the divorce or instead of selling the company, you actually tap into this kind of like, oh, like we're going deeper here. This is some like different, different level of access. And if a leader can do that, they can actually innovate. They can actually evolve in a sustainable way that keeps everybody buzzing, but it's this deeper form of a buzz. So I think that's something interesting that's underneath what you're saying. Um, and, And it takes more work. It takes more reflective work. It takes these six month chunks where you're going to be reflecting, looking at the system, looking at yourself, looking at the system, looking at yourself, looking at the team that you have, looking at, like you say, and I think those archetypes are like totally cool. I haven't heard those before, but I think they're really interesting. This pioneer, settler, planner, and, and that as bureaucracy is what it usually gets named as like red tape, infrastructure, policy, process, whatever, it's usually framed as the enemy. But as it comes in, if it gets built in such a way that it can get at this deeper motivation or it's more shared design or whatever, then it doesn't feel like red tape. It actually feels like highway. It feels like big bridges. It feels like places we haven't been able to access because we couldn't build for it before, but now we can. And, you know, that's not just pie in the sky. That's not just like fairy talk. Like that's how businesses actually build ahead. (laughs) is how they're sustainable or relationships. Like you talk about marriage, like you've got to take another round and go another deeper level, get some deeper infrastructure. You've got to have better seismic foundational (laughs) things that can weather whatever the fuck is coming for you because it will come for you. And right. I mean, I'm tracking with what you're talking about. Well, I I think um, at least like, uh, you know, everybody likes to start up. There's that kind of like getting in there, you're doing stuff. There's a lot of like systems and tech stacks and investigation and here and here. And it's like, yeah. a, uh, like, like every day feels meaningful. Mm-hmm. And then once you get kind of all that kind of figured out, then you have to almost take a step back and be like, okay, what the fuck is all this stuff? Yeah. How is this working? Is this being beneficial? Who are the pieces? And more importantly, are we moving in the direction that you said? And I think that was something for me at least is like, okay, well, what's my definition of success? And was like, what was it five years ago? What was it 10 years ago? What was it six months ago? And realizing that like maybe the North Star never changes, but your definition of success has to continue to evolve so that you can keep pushing towards a goal. Yes. And does it have room to integrate other people's definitions so that you're like a force multiplier, right? Like now you're going to push towards a North star, but you're also like wrangling other sets of motivation in order to get in that direction. And that at the beginning, everybody's has to kind of be the same. Otherwise you don't survive. It's like you say every day, we've got to be pulling the same thing, but 
as you mature, or as the business matures, or as the leader matures, <laughs> uh, they can start to integrate different types of motivation in order to pull in the same direction. It doesn't require conformity, right? It can hold on to complexity and it can harness that. But God, a lot of leaders just can't do it. They think we've got to all have the same motivation. We got to all have the same values. We got to all have the same innovation direction thing. And then they hamstring themselves again, you know, and we're back and now we're back again. I am, the system is me and I am the system. And I, uh, now I'm, I'm trapped. But yes. Yeah. I mean, well, that bottleneck is, I mean, I know for at least within this, I'm like, Hey, uh, uh, what do you guys think? Like uh Tex and I would been working to launch a kind of an interesting project and he had all these questions and I was like, I just say we launch it and we'll figure this shit out because uh, I guarantee any decisions that we make today are going to change within the, like the next month. Well, so it's like, true. like, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, this is how we're projecting and we're trying to role play and game plan all this stuff. And I'm like, we don't necessarily know how it's going to go. And it, it reminds me of every football game I ever played in. We had this amazing game plan and then we went <laughs> in and within like the first series, we're like, holy shit, what's work, you know? And it's like, uh, you know, you have this general, uh, I guess, direction and hey, this is who we are. This is what we do. And it's got to adjust based on what you see. But I think all too, too often people kind of almost kill themselves because they're afraid to kind of go do things because it's not perfect. And, yeah. you know, especially when you've been established and you've been around for, you know, years and people expect a certain level or a certain product and you're like, oh, fuck, it's got to like, you know, it's got to be this level of product that, you know, here. And I'm like, ah, fuck it, dude. Like, you just got to get it out there. We got to like, you know, break it down, see the pieces, see where all the weaknesses are and then go back and rebuild it. And in a month, six months, a year from now, it's going to look completely different. But I think a lot of times uh, people are so fixed, you know, with the ego, it has to do this and this. And I'm like, fuck, like, let's figure it out. Like, um, I, I hate to use the, uh, who, who was the guy? Fuck it. Let's do it live. Um, O'Reilly. Yeah. Bill O'Reilly. But a lot of times it feels like you don't necessarily know until you get in there and start doing it, how it's all going to go play. And I guess you can just almost stymie yourself and sit around and fucking go to pot and just waiting for the perfect, you know, recipe to, oh, be able to yes. push it out. And the organizations that like do really well on an audible, let's just stay with that. Your football analogy, like the people who are like ballers at audibles are the people who have done it a hundred times. So like their audible is actually like a rep 2000, right? It's not actually an audible because they've, they've built so much familiarity. They have so much shared understanding. They have so much experience that when they call an audible, they're like, what's up? This audible has like low ratio of total failure. It's not like you don't know what you're doing, right? Like you're operating within a, a universe of options that you are well, like, like well equipped to navigate through. And you're reading so many signals, so many cues. So you guys are a similar form of this, right? You say to text, we're doing this new thing. And text is like, oh, but we got these, you know, constraints and we got to figure this out or whatever, however's playing what role. But you guys are like, look, let's go live. Let's do this. Like we can't totally predict, but you have a body of knowledge and experience of each other of your market, of your audience, of your moves, right? That like when y'all call an audible, like it reflects this huge body of like foundational 
experience, knowledge. Right? It's not a it's not a pure total probability thing, you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm curious if it feels like that, like for you, text. No, like, does it feel I, like you're what you know? I uh, yeah, no. I, I think whereas text might be a little more cautious. I'm like, well, the. <laughs> I would have to communicate to the, the players. Let, let's, yeah. let's look at it this way. You're sticking with football, we could uh, envision John as the head coach, and I would be the offensive coordinator to then communicate to the athletes the, uh, the plan of attack. Yeah. Yep. So where I would be more and present, I should be presenting challenges or opportunities that I foresee getting stalled on the goal line because then i got to motivate, teach, educate, install the systems, that's good. That's there. why I don't have to do your job. And so the, the, that's what it is. I mean, not con- conflicting no, at all. No, Certainly it's, game boarding. Uh, no, but I I think, uh, you know, like the all the questions that you posed to me. So what uh, we, we've, to give you some background, like so we yeah. have, you know, uh, thousands of people that follow our training programs online and, uh, you know, different teams and whatnot. And the real hole that I see and we've kind of assessed is the fact that, you know, you're in your garage and we've been testing this for, geez, almost six, eight months. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Like yeah. Uh, actually like a Zoom-based remote coaching where you hire personal training sessions, they come in and we, you know, have been working with just different uh, products and putting people in different places. And it's been pretty amazing to say, all right, you know what, like here's just another level of service. So you're, you know, you're following Jack Street and the training's going well. How do I take it a step further? You know, and, you know, we have this, vast coaches army within our block one network of really able-bodied intelligent coaches that because of the present situation with COVID and whatnot uh you know have kind of tried to remodel so we've been kind of going in this and we've been you know doing a ton of uh offline testing with with individuals to try to figure out the pain points and i feel like we have a pretty good body uh, of um you know different individuals different ways of doing this and trying to come up I was in my comment yesterday, Texas, uh, there's things that are going to present themselves that we haven't whiteboarded. And instead of us and not that he's doing this, but I'm like, fuck it, let's just, let's go live. Let's launch this thing. Let's figure out how to present this in such a good way. And then almost let it kind of grow and see the pain points as they become up and then deal with them. And, uh, you know, I think you were like, fuck it, let's go. Oh, well, we have extremely well qualified coaches that were, I mean, based off the education. Yeah. Now all we have to do instead of like they know how to run the ball, they know how to protect the quarterback, but now here's the uh like the specific scheme we're going to install. Yeah. Well, right. So so what you've built, right? You have a like let's just say it in a really general term, like you have quality control. So when you have really high quality control, you can call an audible, you can adjust really fast, you can turn the ship basically, right? It's not like you're out there with no rudder and you're like, I don't know, let's just get these 30 people and let's just show and go, y'all. Like, it's not like that because of what you built. And I think that's what leaders like don't remember. And that's why they can't make this really crucial turn, which is what have we built? And then how does what we've built like kind of painstakingly, kind of disciplinedly, like kind of in the ordinary, like plotting ways, you know, like we've got block one, we've got these things. We had to build the curriculum. We had to build the assessment and the evaluation. Like that stuff's not sexy. What's sexy is massive pivot in the market, you know, whatever. But like that thing only occurs because of the foundational thing you built around quality control and getting 
like coordinated around the disciplines that you have so that everybody can kind of do a big turn if you need to, and you've needed to, and I mean, all of us have, but the ones of us who can do it quicker, the ones of us that can do it with more enjoyment and not like lose our spouses and whatever, like it's because we know what we've built. And I think that's an, for, let's say there's a founder or a designer of a business or a cause or something that's listening to us, like the thing you do, you start today is go figure out what's your disciplines, what's your quality control, what's your foundational thing, like do the not so sexy stuff so that when it's time to move in some sexy red carpet way, you are ready. So it's not like, oh shit, well, we'll so do that. So you're saying do all the foundational work first and then use the solid foundation to build upon. How long does it take? I mean, like I, I like I mean, we started in 2000. I mean, I started when I retired in 09, we launched Cross the Football Power Athlete didn't come until about 12 or 13. Uh, mm -hmm. 13, yeah. Yeah, 13. But it's like you have all this foundational things like all of this uh core curriculum and ethos and all these other pieces built in to build upon. I wonder um and I mean, would you say that a lot of people fail because they don't take the time to build those foundational pieces. And yes, hundred percent. Yes, hundred percent. And what's really interesting, I was just thinking about this. Uh, I get called. Somebody like me gets called into a team, whether it's like a corporate team or a cause leadership team or what you know, a cabinet at a university, whatever. Okay, I get called in because they're at a life cycle point where they're like, oh, this feels like we're dead in the water. We can't make any turns. Like, what's our issue? We all like each other. We're all like here for it, but like, what are we doing? And it's just like, it sort of gets lost. And I will say, okay, so what's the like purpose and importance of this configuration of leaders in this company or organization or university or whatever? Okay, what's the purpose and importance of this group when you get in the room together or in the Zoom together, I guess nowadays, whatever, tell me this sounds like the most expensive meeting in this organization. So give me your sort of like purpose and importance. Somebody could like come at me. Crickets. It doesn't exist. There's as many answers to it as there are people in the room and none of them feel confident enough to give their version because it was never like set. It was never agreed upon. And they, ne they always felt like we're good. Like we understand our work. We understand each other. We don't need those things. Those are like, you know, posters that like cheese ball people under Mifflin have, you know, it's like, we don't really need like an ethos or a purpose, a purpose statement or, you know, these kind of things. And it's like, but you're, how's that going for you? Right? Like we're all here and I just interviewed all of you. And there's no agreement. I've got 13 interviews and I've got 13 answers to this question. What this group, when we pay everyone to be in this room, which is the most expensive meeting in this organization, what you're going to, what return you're going to make on that. And that like, here's where it really turns into like a stomach, like a gut punch. And that is, let's say you've got 450 people, like as a part of this organization, all behind you, like rowing accomplishing their craft, like doing the process and keeping you in compliance and whatever it is, all these 450 people are doing. What do they imagine you're doing when you're gathered in this configuration in this room? 
they think something of consequence and importance is going on in this room. In fact, they're busting their asses to try to get into this room to do the work of purpose and importance. So if they knew what I know, which is not much is going on in here, but pushing it around and like letting them drag the organization they're going to be fucking pissed, man. And like, you better hope I don't walk out there on the floor. Like, yeah. And I'm going to be like, <laughs> nothing's going on in there. They're all like sitting back. They all finally got there and they're not doing anything of consequence. And you guys are sitting out here thinking that they, I mean, you see what I'm, where I'm yeah, going with yeah. this. This is such a common occurrence. And like, they are cool people. They're not shitty people. They're really cool. They're senior leaders of an organization and they don't know why they're in that configuration in that room because it's not, it feels awkward to be like, let's have a purpose statement and let's have an ethos about our behavior and what we're going to accomplish. And it's like, no, that stuff makes it possible for you to do consequential work, to do the dangerous work of changing your organization or leading a bunch of people or moving into your industry or serving your clients or whatever you're doing. Like that is, the, that is, I will say senior teams are sick with that. They're sick with it. Well, the, uh, uh, wow. I really, you really got me on that one, dude. You fired me straight up. (laughs) No, I saw you coming right at the screen. I was like, Oh God damn. But let's do it. (laughs) So when you're in a startup, right. And I was kind of thinking on this on like that, you know, kind of, uh, pioneer to settler when you're in the startup and everybody's in the fight, like you don't have to, talk to people about ethos you don't need a mission statement because everybody's there digging they're fighting they're in the you know you have history and you have experiences and you remember this and this and everybody knows the culture yes Uh, what what i found and this was actually perry heppenstall was like hey you know we got to write out all this branding stuff we need all this and i'm like why do we need that and he's like it's not for you it's for new people it's for people that weren't there fighting off wild animals and building fires in the middle and you know uh-huh. digging holes and all this. It's the people that come in later that need to understand what your company is, what the role, what the ethos is. Like that's where that stuff's important. The problem is you have to create it now because if you go create it after those people, you're gonna have to fire them and then bring in new people once you do it. Because if not, they're just gonna be kind of wandering around in circles. They need to understand, like, hey, this is the mission, this is who we are, this is what we expect. These are, you know, the four rules, like don't steal, don't lie do what you say you're going to do and don't do nothing, which is our four rules of power athlete. They need to understand that and not just, you know, fancy words on a wall, but this is who we are. And I think, uh, that was like huge to me because, you know, Harry does all the branding and he's like, this is, this is why, you know, major companies fail is because they bring in people after the fact that don't know why the fuck they're there or who they are or what they're doing or how they fit into it. Or more importantly, what are we doing here? Which, uh, Brings me to another point where, where I was like, Hey, this happened to me probably, Oh man, it was probably about a month ago. Uh, I had like a a. 3am existential moment where like, you know, you wake up and you think, what am I doing? Why are we here on this planet? Like, are we making any difference? Like what the fuck? Like it just, this, like, (laughs) like, like, uh, you know, like fucking, should I just, you know, like, I don't know, buy an Airstream and go live in a national park for a year. Like, you know, you have these moments like, is that normal? Yes, totally. Okay. All right. I think I had one this morning and I was like, at least I get power athlete. I guess going to keep me going, you know, cause like the golden shovel is just not going to do it for today, but I'm going to talk to Tex. I'm going to talk to John. 
we're going to shoot the shit. They're going to fire me up. I'll get a little hot in the collar here. And like, oh, so I'll go today. Okay. Today, no airstream. But yes, of course I call it 3am scaries. Dude, oh, okay. every leader, every leader who's awake has it. Okay. Continue. Yes. You're normal. <laughs> okay. Uh, dude. Cause I, I like had this like, uh, this moment, I'm like, fuck, is is this like, uh, uh, you know, does everybody go through this where you think you're like, am I making an impact? Yes. And it was funny because I called my brother and uh, I was talking to him and he's like, I think what you guys do is extremely valuable by providing people direction and helping them be the best version of themselves. And he painted it in such a like creative light. I was like, okay, um, so I guess I'm not going to just fucking abandon everything and go sell fast food somewhere. He's like, no, dude, like, uh, you know, he's, it, it was just funny that like, you know, I, I think when you're so close in something, you sometimes have a hard time seeing the impact. Yes. And so I, I wonder as like a, a leader or, you know, when you're so close to something, like what are the, like, how do people step away to actually see the impact and, and, you know, climb up and look down on it. And that's something that, I knew you were coming on and I'm like, man, how do I, one, how do I avoid those 3am existential moments or is that, I know. and then more <laughs> importantly, like how do you get space to try to see this thing from a bigger, you know, like the, the drone flying over and be like, okay, I see where this whole thing fits. I see like the landscape. This is the direction it needs to go. Um, okay. So you're answering partly, you're answering your own question because what does assuage that 3am scary thing in you is somebody else's frame on it. And so someone, you, when you invite someone else to say, tell me about the meaning that you see in my work and my contribution. Tell me what you see as valuable to me. Tell me what you see me like pursuing and sort of, it's like a very primitive thing. Like your kids would ask you sort of similar questions if they could. And that is like, like, what do you see about me? You know, like, what do you see me doing and like, what's my potential? And like, why am I here? And, you know, do you love me? And am I worthy? And like, I mean, it gets down to some of this stuff that have your kids ever asked you those questions? Oh, I, it's coded. It's more like, um, did you watch, did you see my kick or something? Right. Or like, yeah. will you look at my art? Uh, it's those, uh, look what I built. Um, watch me. Okay. We all have a version of that and a wounded version of that, I'll add, okay? We all have a, wo a wounded version of that. And so when we've extended ourselves to kind of our limit, like you're talking about, and you're like, God, like, it, well, now what? Like, is this all it's for? Or is it doing what it should be doing? Or like, uh, um, am I the bottleneck? Like all that. Okay, then your brother steps in, okay? And metaphorically, right? Like a brother, a sister, steps in and they're like, hold on, put on my frames and let me tell you what I see. Here's what I see. I see you building something. I see you changing as a person. I see you contributing to something that needs contribution. I see your gifts and kind of your like fire lined up with like a need. And so get after it. Don't quit. Don't extract yourself selfishly. Okay. Um, and then you're like, right. I think I'll show up today. I think I'll go on the podcast with Kara. All right, good. Let's go. So I would say the way a leader artificially invites that is, you know, you don't do the 3 a.m. And, and it, you call your brother. That works. Okay. Believe me, I'm doing the same thing. Uh, but you set up your actual team to be doing that for each other and then doing that for the business or for the organization or for the pursuit. So you make it normal and like customary to be saying, 
why are we here? So yes, Harry's right. Okay. Harry's right. You need to be doing that for the new people, but I would argue you got to do that for you. You need to hear what are we doing? Is it making a difference? Are we contributing? Is this our highest value? What else should we chase? Are we the bottleneck? Whatever the fucking, all these questions, just don't leave them to 3 a.m. Because that's where they pop up if they're oh, not God, at your it's the worst. Right? It's the worst. It's totally yeah. the worst. So I have no way of getting rid of those other than give them the light of day. So if you give them the light of day, they don't show up at, show up at night as scaries, as ghosts. So it's like if you guys, if you guys can say, let's revisit, like, this is not silly. Let's revisit. What's our contribution? What's our highest and best use? Are we serving our purpose? Are we whatever? Keep the question, keep those familiar and they don't scare you at night. That's my contention. Mm -hmm. New ones that haven't been given the light of the day. Now those I cannot keep at bay. Okay. Those ones, those wake me up too. But with the leaders that I work with or my own, I know if you give them the light of day and you fold them into your leadership and you fold them into your teaming activity, then they don't show up at night and they don't show up for other people either. Cause they have them too. Fucking text has this, like, am I doing my thing? Like, is this my Tech highest sleeps like a baby, like 10 hours a night, like a fucking veal over there. Like I wish, Oh, shut the fuck up. You're like a veal. Like, uh, I want to hear you though. I want to hear from you. I want you to say, what do you say? What do you do with these questions? Tex Tex goes to bed at eight and wakes up at 6am and doesn't wake up. I disagree. <laughs> well, good thing you don't have kids cause they will destroy your sleep. Well, well I, I see that and that's why they have to sleep on the other side of the house, John. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, here's, here's one thing that I am committed to. And then John, you can attest to this. I present challenges that I see foresee or face yes. because we can't hide anything in the dark. Yeah. And then we, we spend a lot of time yes. on different tasks, a lot of different tasks. So when we do have this time together, when we're not yeah. podcasting, <laughs> these John, this is the conversation I had or yeah. John, here's this project because, and John, what do you think of this? If there's a test or a bet that I want to make, I present it and ask his yeah. and, take on it. And what I appreciate is, um, and I've told these guys for years, uh, if you come to me with a problem and you haven't already thought of a solution, oh yes. like, like if you come to me with a problem and there's like, Hey, you know, we're having this problem. Great. Okay. Have you thought through any solutions? No, I'm going to send you back and make you think about a solution. Cause at the end of the way, at, at the end of the day, if you just bring me problems, then it's like, then you haven't thought through a solution. So it's like, hey, if here's the problem, here's the hurdle, this is how we're going to get over. Okay, well, that's great. What about this? And then it helps us have uh, discourse to be able to figure out solutions. So I, uh, I don't mind problems. I just want to know like what you think is a solution. You're the one that encounters this problem. How do you think we solve this? And then at that point, um, you know, because I, like I said, my biggest fear on everything is uh, that we're the bottleneck. Where like every decision, whether it be a decision or problem or this, like you become the conduit where the people that are working for you don't have the wherewithal or the courage or the balls, let's say to fucking solve a problem. And it's like, and it's uh, always the leader's fault. That is the yeah. most unpopular coaching of all time. And I am the most unpopular coach on that point because you are absolutely right. You are all, it's always your question. How am I the bottleneck of this thing? And how am I 
going to bring my solutions to that. And it's like, people cannot may unmake you the bottleneck. Like they literally, they can't do it. They don't have the power to do it. They, you know, whatever. So it's like, but isn't that empowering them? Like empowering them to like make a decision or is it the fact that people are like so nervous to cover their own ass that they, they choose to do nothing instead of making a decision that could potentially be wrong? I have a thought on that. And this was Kara, Dr. Kara Miller. We re listened <laughs> to episode 364 featuring you. Oh, <laughs> and there was two words in there that, that I really thought about. And that was cap capability versus capacity. Nah. We didn't talk about versus yes. but what I was taking away in which my capacity, John, meaning if there's different tasks that I am capable of accomplishing, but I just yeah. don't have the bandwidth to because of everything else. But then yep. there's capability in which you would ask me to do something and that is not in my skill set, sir. But I'm a, now I have the strength and courage to tell you. Whereas before you didn't, now if something isn't and like, right. and, then, and, and, that's and, and I've gotten pissed at you where I've been like, hey, motherfucker, if you can't do uh -huh. this, you got to raise your hand. Which now I do. Yeah. But like, I like that's it like took some time. Yeah, I, I know. And, and a lot of that's growth and I know that. But like the, the age old, ethos. like, like you, it's the, ethos, yeah. right. If you convinced him finally that that's what you wanted, that you wanted him to identify, self-identify his own limits of capability and capacity. He finally believed you. Do you know what I mean? Like it took a while, right? Like leaders have to build the believability because just because like, you say it, people cannot believe you. Like you have yeah. to build it over time. So finally he like had enough time to believe you for this, that he could actually bring it to you. So that's like a massive leader win. If somebody brings you a problem or says that's my, at my limit or I, whatever, whatever. And like, I have no solutions or I have no capacity or I, whatever you finally know that you just won like a leader point, like point one for me. And that is they believed me. They did because they acted on it. They drew down on it. Like I kept saying, you've got credits with me. Draw down on a credit. Tell me you can't do it. Tell me you don't know. Tell me whatever. But there's so much at stake with that. People don't aren't inherently ready to believe you in your seat of power and your seat of whatever. And then when they finally do, you know you've achieved it. You know you've become believable. And that is one of the hardest things to be when you have power. It's very difficult to be also believable and have a bunch of power. So it's like congratulations, you know, <laughs> and, well, and it's, it's, it's hard. the airport. Uh, I call it the airport analogy. You remember at the airport where they're like, if you see something suspicious, you have to report it to somebody. If oh, you see yeah. like a piece of luggage that's like, you know, by itself and nobody's around it, you have to report it. So it's the same yeah. thing where it's like, if this is outside my realm or this is outside my capacity, I have to let somebody know because we but, don't want to, you know, fucking yes. bomb to blow up. If it's too dangerous, if they don't believe that, if they think, if I say this is beyond my limit or I can't do it all or whatever, like my ego's at stake first. And then secondly, the leader might bust me on it and like shame me later for it or whatever, right? Like everybody thinks that's the default for everybody, unfortunately, because we've been so successful at conditioning people and follow the rules and jump through the hoops and like whatever, that when we finally say no, come on, you got to fail. You got to tell me where you can't do it. You got to like, and I will push anything for you. If you, if you come at me with that, the truth, like let's deal with the truth. If they like, 
sense at all that there's any shame or any ego or anything like they're just not going to do it. I mean, even at the airport, like I'll say I see a thing and I'm like, I don't want anyone to think that like I have the thing and like I don't want to get mixed up in the deal. And like, I'm not sure I want to stick around here and like be the witness statement or whatever. And also like, I think a bomb might go off. So I'm just going to get the fuck out of here. I don't want to stand around looking for a security guard. Cause what if it blows up, then I'm still here. So this is how people think about things. But when you finally show up as believable, when your ethos is real and it's lived. Okay. Um, I, this sounds like I'm making a list that exists. It doesn't exist, but whatever. Okay. Let's start a list. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Start. Hold on. Okay. One. Right. Number one, you show up as believable doing what you being who you said you were. Okay. That takes a while with your power. Secondly, if they see there aren't consequences for this happening at other times, right? Someone said, I can't do that. Or someone said, I have a problem or someone said, whatever. And they see there weren't like dire, drastic, massive ego, shame, consequences, abusive consequences. Uh, Then we finally make it safe enough to do dangerous things like report a bomb that is about to go off. Uh, if people feel like it's safe enough to do that, um, then dangerous things start to happen in good ways, right? Wow, there's some, that guy was just, can you hear him? The brother yeah. up out there on the 101? <laughs> he was making my point, right? So I want you to be a safe enough leader, a consistent enough leader that people will tell you dangerous things voluntarily (laughs) and they know that they can trust you to react enact consequences stay sturdy you won't lose your shit you're not going to derail the whole thing's not going to go to pot they're not going to be shamed publicly whatever that like you're going to deal in truth and reality back to them if they deal in truth and reality to you and once you've achieved that then you can actually change something push something grow something and people will stay. I mean, that's the promise that most leaders never deliver on. Mm. Truly. Damn. So there's some, I guess there's some amen in that, but how, still, this is the how hard do you defi- part. Like, uh, um, like uh, whenever you use the word leader, I always uh, like, you know, like it, uh, like I always think like, is there certain personality traits that, drive a person into a leadership role opposed from like, um, you know, people that see something bigger and want to be a part of something. Like, uh, I was fine to play offensive line. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I'd never wanted to be the quarterback. Like, and there's certain people where it's like, I wanted to be the quarterback. I wanted to be the guy. I wanted to be the, you know, Tom Brady shining on the top. I'm like, man, I just wanted to be one of the dudes that just got a chance to beat people's asses. I wouldn't like, I'd never wanted to be in that. And I mean, one, I couldn't throw a football, but two, when you start to gra- gravitate towards positions, I'm like, I kind of like this. I don't really want to do this. And so I wonder with like the leadership thing, if there's certain personality traits or things that people get thrust into that kind of put them in this. And uh, like, you know, is that something that, you know, you, you always hear that, per- you know, that guy's a born leader. You know, that guy is, uh, uh, yeah. you know, has some charismatic thing where people follow opposed from. I just want to be another brick in this bigger wall. Um, so my personal bias um, and my like training experience, theoretical, like all that stuff says that that's bullshit. So there's no such thing as born leader. It's all 
conditioned, trained, you know, everything's possible, different leaders for different industry, different roles, whatever, that leadership, pretty much the, the universal consensus now in like leadership studies and organizational leadership and psychology of leaders and all that kind of stuff is if you're willing to take responsibility for the whole, then you go for leader roles or you act like you're willing to take responsibility for the whole and you're really going for charismatic guru kind of status. And we all know the people that kind of do this. Um, And that then they get sort of found out for not being believable, the thing that we were talking about earlier, and they end up losing and crumbling and whatever. Um, So the first- Is that ego driven? Uh, That second piece with like the guru? Because I I really think, and we, we see this in social media in so many different places, where I think people aren't interested in being leaders or being successful, they're more interested in like, the guru, the admiration, like being the person, like the mystic on the mountain, you know, posing or, you know, this, and I I see that shit and it's so disingenuous to me where I'm like, there's zero fucking substance to what you're saying. The information you're putting out, and I was a rhetoric major, so I understand bullshit, is just a whole bunch of fancy words that have zero fucking substance and I can't figure out what the fuck you're doing or who you are, what you stand on. And so at that point, I just default to this like, guru uh you know tony robbins i'm going to change your life by putting a hand television evangelist i see you wanting to say something tex Uh, i do this this exists what john spoke about in the locker room like the we had 40 guys on a team different archetypes but the it was the raw raw guy but as soon as the going gets tough and you've spoken on that dude i i told you in 2003 when i was playing for the can or uh, uh philadelphia eagles i made a comment once in in the paper and i've since like written it down but i said in the absence of true leadership false prophets appear but social media and, now has and, given and, them this well it, it's true but it's true like when leadership it like without solid leadership you get profits people that are like prophesizing about shit and i'm like whoa, whoa 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 we don't need profits we need leaders and a prophet's over there talking about you know we just got to get over there to get to the promised land and if we follow this and you know this mystics and i'm like whoa 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. like this is fucking false prophets man like this is uh, you know children but like there is no magic Okay. There's no magic. Right. And when, as a leader, you decide there is no magic. Okay. This is the building blocks of getting results in whatever you want to do. Okay. Cue the not sexy, unpopular coaching music right now and just fade me out because the successful, like results driven leader that can keep something sustainable over time is doing all of the basic things like building and maintaining relationships, reminding people of the purpose and importance of us gathering and doing work together. They are responding and adjusting to what the market will bear or what their industry is doing. And they are willing to be wrong pursue being wrong, look for how they're the bottleneck, these things. Okay. All these not sexy things that all add up to you get the job, you get the job and you keep your team or you keep your audience or you keep whatever. So if people suspect that there's this magical charismatic guru kind of thing going on with their leader in quotes, they will ride it for a while, but then they'll do 
the thing we see them all do, and that is like transition out, have some sort of major break, right? Like it's usually pretty nasty, pretty ugly, whatever. If the if the if the guru doesn't like get arrested for something questionable first, okay, their team will shift out and move on because they've found them not to be believable in their role, and they don't want to give them power anymore. I feel like we could have done a case study with Greg Glassman on CrossFit. Okay, like, oh. I, I mean, because I I put him. Uh, like he's on that level with the dude who was like the uh, the Bikram yoga guy. Okay, Bikram. Yeah, Bikram. I, yeah, yeah but I, I, he's kind of even I forget what his name, but like that know. kind of like uh, magical uh, guru, uh, charismatic. You know, there you like hear the guy speak, and you're like, fuck, man, like shit. This uh, 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 like like I, I always think that the the charismatic guru can sway somebody in person. That inherent, I know this is bullshit, but man, that was pretty convincing. Yeah, like and, it, it, it has you question. Here's my Beakram, reasoning. What's his first name? Sorry. Beaker. <laughs> Just kidding. Beakrum Chowdery. Chow- yeah. Um, no, here's my background on that or my sort of theoretical frame on that. And that is that people are attracted by information and they're attracted by like transformation. What they are not like initially attracted by is formation and that most of life is formation and that like the deepest forms of meaning to be had, the deepest forms of relationship to be had uh, and the deepest forms of contribution that are sustainable and actually have impact, those all take place in activities of formation. So whether it's the formation of an athletic skill set mindset, competitive mindset, or something you that getting that formed, right? From an early time, you're forming this um, identity of sort of the athlete in the mind. And and then the athlete in the body like comes to match that and then gets maintained over time. That's a formational activity. Um, or I would argue like the formation of a leader. So the first, you know, one of my favorite questions is what's the first time somebody called you a leader? Who was that person? How did you respond in your own sense of like, could your identity kind of integrate that? I am a leader. I am Kara and I'm a leader. Um, and that the formation of a leader identity and then the skills that came to match that challenge and the affirmations that came to reinforce that, or that's a formational activity, that that's not a big transformational magical revival. And that doesn't show up like some sort of ecstatic epiphany or something. And it, it, it's also not just information where, ah, oh, I've read every I've read every book, I've listened to every podcast, and I go to every conference and come at me with the new thing, new thing. Okay, what's the new Adam Grant book? Oh, awesome! Next, Malcolm Gladwell. Oh yeah, I'm all about it. You're all informational, right? And it never actually gets formational. Um, I think that's like a really important way to decode the very thing that you're talking about, that like people's initial attraction is to just getting more information, pursuit of information. I'm going to get the next thing. I'm I'm all about education, you know, or I'm looking for transformation. I got to see the before and after. I got to see the 30 pound weight loss. I've got to see that I wasn't a speaker, but now I'm a platform motivational person. Hey, those are okay. 
formation over time is like actually what we're looking for. And that's what creates sustainable results. That's in, in fitness, physical development, in like business development and industry, like participation or, or even just in the economy. We want people who are like formational in business and formational in fitness and formational in leadership and relationships. Like that's the thing we need to make the practice that transformation is just not a practice. It's like an arrival or an outcome. Um, we need formation as the practice and need is because I'm an evangelist for this, right? But this is how I see, like leaders are successful if they can see themselves in formation, if they can see their business in formation, and if they can see actually their clientele or their industry or their customers or their athletes or whatever as people in formation. We're never trying to get them to transformation or whatever. We're trying to keep them in formation because they're just such deep meaning and deep relationship. I mean, it's just stuff there that you can't replicate and that everything else tastes like sugar comparatively. There's my, so, there's my info. So how do you, uh, uh, formation takes consistent work. Yeah. So like the idea and, uh, shit, man, years ago on this podcast, I, uh, I dropped a quote that, you know, training's like moving big pile of dirt. And, uh, you know, every day you get a chance to, you know, move a little or a lot, but as long as you're moving a little every day. And it was this kind of mindset that I used when I was training being like, Hey man, like, uh, as long as I get up and I go do what I'm supposed to do, I'm closer to my goal than I was the day before. If I don't get out of bed and I'm a fucking lazy ass, then you know what? I have no chance of improvement. So I'm going to get up and I'm gonna go try to get better. And the problem is that is extremely hard to sell to people, especially in, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, the fitness genre or what you do in terms of motivation and coaching and leadership and trying to, you know, help people become better versions of themselves. Uh, it's hard to sell. And this is where I get into the guru thing. The guru is the one who's selling the magic. You know, here's the magic pill. Here's this. If you just drink my, you know, uh, coffee with MCT oil, bulletproof, you'll lose a hundred pounds, even though, you know, he doesn't understand the law of thermodynamics and calories in calories out there. You're consuming 5,000 calories in fucking drinks and you wonder why you're getting fatter. Um, you know, and that's that guru bullshit. But like, the problem is, is like you said, formation takes time. It takes consistent effort. And like, it, it's like, you know, when you're the analogy, I, I think when you were using a formation, it's like building a brick wall, you got to keep laying the bricks and they have to be symmetrical and you got to line them up and you got to, you know, piece them in and they have to look good. So when you step back, they're all in formation. It's all, you know, straight lines. It's not looking like a zigzag, but that takes consistent effort, reanalysis, you know, am I moving in the right direction? Is it safe? Have I measured? How high does it go? And, well, but, but there's nothing goal. sexy about that. No. And the goals are too small. I'm sorry. I am like against the vision board idea of goals like this. Like I think most people's goals are just too small. They're, they're small. They are weak. They don't get you what you actually want. So if you make the goal to live a life that is in formation, you live a formational life. That is actually, if we talk about the rewards or the returns on a formational life, like now we're talking, okay, that will get you so much more than my goal was to get 500 members and in order to get the, the new defender model, 
right? Uh, okay, that's great. Like you should definitely do that. That's an accomplishment and like a good use or stewardship of like, you know, celebrating what your good work and your payoff. Okay. But like, that's not a goal that like addresses your soul. So if you can admit like your soul is trying to find meaning, which shouldn't be a spoiler alert. Your soul is looking to find meaning in this life. Okay. This is how you are different from a bison. Okay. You're looking for meaning and and this is your pursuit and everything you do is actually trying to answer these questions. Okay. We know this to be true. Every poet has ever told us any playwright or any music, like, but anybody, it all tells us that's what we're in pursuit of. Okay. Well, what addresses that pursuit? What addresses those soul questions a uh, formational life, a life that is lived as I'm a bricklayer. And like, I learn a lot about laying bricks. I meet a lot of people laying bricks. It takes me around the world to talk about that, to build together, to what can we do to, so it's not, I've built three walls. And so I answered my soul's quest, you know, it's like, well, okay, you built three walls and that's good. But now what are you going to do? And many successful people will just, they're not going to be listening to me, but they'll slide in to this conversation and be like, that is the fucking truth right there. I can win a gold medal. I can win an Oscar. I can make a billion dollars. And if I am not willing to figure out how to answer my soul question and live a life that is formational, that has some principles and some disciplines where I go to find meaning and is not dependent on these accomplishments, uh, I'm in trouble. I will take my life. I will take myself out of it because it's not worth it. And mm. so this, this becomes a very profound like level. Yeah. I, I saw this in the NFL where you gave uh, a bunch of, you know, 20, 30 year old dudes, uh, you know, exorbitant amounts of income. And, uh, it was like a black hole that you throw money into. So I, I watch guys like I, I played with a dude that uh, never wore the same clothes twice. So his wife at the beginning of every month would buy 30 outfits, socks, whatever, and shoes. And he would wake up every day, put on brand new shoes, brand new socks, underwear, everything, come home, throw it in a bag, and the next day he would buy a car every week. And what was amazing was like, uh, you know, every, uh, every Monday he'd go buy a new car and it was like a black hole that he just threw money and stuff and he accumulated these things. And everything he got, he was more unhappy. And I really, and it was an interesting observation. And I tell people, I'm like, there, you could give somebody, you know, an endless amount of money and it'll be like a black hole that they throw money or that they just throw that money into and they will never attain happiness because the amount of shit that you can just all of a sudden purchase doesn't help you attain anything. And it was like a dude was miserable and it like every day just seemed worse and worse. And I was like, dude, I, I, you know, and I think when you're younger, especially when you go to the NFL, you're like, man, these dudes that like, you know, make all this money must be so happy. Like it must, you know, remove all this stuff. And it was almost like it made them more depressed because they didn't have the foundation of family and friends and who they are and all these other things where it's like, you know, like, um, so this, um, just a detour a little bit when, uh, uh, my dad passed away a couple of years ago and he was, you know, got sick with cancer. And I remember we were sitting in the hospital room and my brother was like, dad, is there anything left on your bucket list that you want to do? Trying to give him some idea of like, you're going to beat this. We're going to go out and do the bucket list. Everything that he related to us on his bucket list were things that he had already done. He just wanted to do them with us. 
he's like, I got to go scuba diving in the Galapagos and it was amazing. I wish you guys were there. I'd like to go do it with you guys. It wasn't that he was a practicing criminal attorney for 55 years. It wasn't the fact that he had a dope Rolex or he drove a Porsche or had, you know, custom suits or lived in a house in Palos Verdes. Like it was literally us sitting around and him recounting all the things that we did together growing up and all the memories. And, uh, like, you know, at that point it wasn't like, Oh, here's the money I made or any of the other shit. It was about these experiences and the relationships like on your deathbed. This is what you remember. And the realization that we will all be in that position. The only thing that like everybody enters the world in the exact same way and we all go out the exact same way. And it doesn't matter if you're, you know, uh, fucking Jeff Bezos, uh, he's gonna, when he dies, he can't take his money. I mean, the ancient Egyptians tried to do it. And you know what? He'll be remembered as this guy, but at the end of the day, he's going to leave and enter the same. What does he remember and how does he, more importantly, value his life? And the question I asked my dad was like, do you feel that you live the life that you wanted? And he was like, yeah, I got to have this like amazing family. I got to have you guys. I got to go to all of these football games. I got to watch you play in the NFL. And like, uh, you know, and, and like you're sitting there and you're like, you know, tearing up on it. But it was... um it was like the relationships and the fact that you got to share things with people were what he remembered most. And that completely altered my thinking on stuff. I'm like, fuck, there wasn't like, oh, I had another $10 in my bank account. Uh, it wasn't that, you know, hey, I got those new wheels on this. And like, none of that shit mattered. And so like, we get so stuck in this idea of like, oh, this and everybody has this and what this, you know, fuck, that shit ain't gonna matter. Like, it's, it's about how the people that are closest to you that when you're on your last legs that are sitting around your kids or, you know, wife or whoever it is, and they're legitimately there because they loved you and you had an amazing relationship. And to me, that's the only marker for success. Like build whatever you want, the company in this, and I'm sure fucking Amazon is great. But like if Jeff Bezos dies alone with nobody around him, his fucking life was a failure to me. And you are identifying like with great vulnerability, which I just very connected to, right? And you got me on the edge of my seat. Anybody who's listening to this, like right on the edge of their seat, um, that what you're identifying is the practice of being able to raise the meaning of your goals. If your goal is to dive in the Galapagos, like you can get that, but like raise the goal, like layer that shit, like Galapagos diving with my sons and like attending to legacy and being like, almost like to the verge of tears of like, I added a layer of relationship and meaning that is beyond the goal. I had a cutout picture of Galapagos on my bulletin board and that was that my we goal. never got to. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. so what are the ways, you know, if somebody is saying, well, how do I do this? You know, I don't want to be just information driven, or I don't want to just be seeking these transformational things where like all of a sudden I'm an influencer or like all of a sudden I've made it or something. Right. It's like, how do you live a formational life? Well, it's practices like what you just said, like, it's not just a goal, figure out how the goal actually serves like a higher order goal, like a later stage, like more complex, like more layered goal. Like the goal of your life is to create meaning and to like embed that meaning into relationships. And like your goals should serve that. So it's not don't buy the car. It's not don't go diving. It's don't go ascetic Monkville or what, or Airstream or whatever. Like it's higher order your goals. Like you're, I swear, I don't know. I don't have this as a 
hashtag, but like your goals are too small. They won't give you what you want. They don't answer what you need. So build, rebuild the truck, John. Well, do well, how, like, but but how do people grasp into that? Like, like you keep saying your goals are too small. Yes. Um, like doesn't, I mean, you know, the age old Billy Crystal where it's like, you know, I had to find the, the meaning of life. It's this. And they're like, what's that? And he's like, it's different for every person. Yeah. So how do people do the work to sit down and be like, what, like on my deathbed, what would I look back? I mean, fuck, I don't think you can even do that. Like, you know, looking oh, back and being like, what would be the marker for success for my life? Um, you know, and it, it's, it's, uh, well, learn, writing goals is a skill in itself. And I've dropped this quote before, but Nana McQuilkin, Carrie Yule, appreciate this. My grandmother, what, her quote, it reach for the stars and you'll land on the roof. Reach for the roof and you'll remain on the sidewalk. And now, speaking to you, that coming to conclusion that that was all about aim. And oh. what we speak about in one of our online courses, our trainer course, is communicating with your client's goals and we break it down into three forms where you're listening to them. The uh -huh. first is, are they mentioning outcome goals? So Thank is you. it lose 30 pounds, mm. bench press X. And if you're receiving outcome goals from your potential client, that's a good thing. But yeah. your aim is to now turn them into a process oriented client. Mm. So the process is we're going to, yes, we're going to bench press 315 pounds. We're going to get there by showing up three days a week for you're going to commit to three months with me or a year. And eventually they'll turn into an identity. They identify as an athlete. So yeah. the next step, if you hear in the first contact and touch point with a potential client process, uh, man, I, I was a, a kick-ass football player in high school. I want to get back to my strength or my body weight or Man, I yep. love that that style of training. Okay, those are process-oriented. Now we're going to eventually lead them until they identify as a power athlete, which, hell, man, we almost backed into that success and process through a lot of our application and tools because we ourselves identify as power athlete or leaders. It's just who and we are. And you know what? And the, the data just backs up everything that you just named. So your Nana, okay, she knew it first. All right, let's just give her her citation. Okay, what'd you call her, banana? That's so cute. No, oh. Nana McQuilkin. Yeah, Nana, which is oh, funny because God. that's actually Tex's nickname when he's driving his truck. I, yeah. I, I was driving, uh, and I know you don't know this, on, uh, on 12 the other day, I was two cars behind you. <laughs> and, uh, it was, uh, and you were driving, you made a right on Fitzhugh, I think it was on Saturday. Uh, and I was laughing cause like the speed limit's like 40 and Texas doing like 37 and I'm like, I'm in the car and I remember Jamie's like, uh, said something. I'm like, uh, Nana McQuilkin's up there and she's like, Texas Daisy, he's up there. And like, you know, like jump forward and looked and there you were just cruising okay, 37 right. miles yeah. an hour. But there is a real Nana, Nana McQuilkin, which is yeah, the irony of this. So let's give her her citation. Okay. So Nana McQuilkin. Yes. Okay. Secondly though, I can help you like back that all up, you know, because like, oh, let's see. So a really tangible or like, um, uh, easy to metabolize version of this is the James clear atomic habit. So he talks about like, if you want to 
change some behavior, you've got to identify with someone who that behavior is actually a normal behavior. It's like not a habit for them. It's just a behavior. It's just, they're already disciplined to do it. And so you got to identify with that identity. So what's the identity of like a power athlete? Well, a power athlete does that, they live like this. They're, you know, they show up like this. They do what they say they're going to do. They don't do nothing. Like, I don't know, whatever it is. Right. So you, you get this identity and like help people get to it. But like, I think the real like insight there for people is that like, so if it's an outcome or if it's a process to the outcome, which I actually really like. So it's like the the outcome, then the aim, you know, and then the process is going to get you from sort of like, you're going to aim in the right direction, but like, you're also going to shoot, right? So you're going to do that. So you've got aim, you've got process, you've got outcome. And then I mean, one of my favorite questions to address both what you were saying, John, and what you brought up text from your Nana, and that is for what? So we're, we have this outcome, we've got this process, we're going to start back, get back to the aim. Also, if you want the motivation, here's the, the tank of motivation, the deep well that's going to keep somebody to it. And like, they're not going to derail because of this tank of motivation. You ask them, and what for? For the sake of what? In order to enable what? What will become possible when you lose 30 pounds, rebuild that truck, you know, earn a Grammy or like whatever it is. Okay. And the outcome of that, (laughs) of the outcome, right? Like you're getting them to something different that will be more sustainable. And I would argue that's a formational question because you're teaching them to go look for the layers of motivation and like, get them to some of the dark ego shit. Like, well, because when I lose 30 pounds, I'll be the popular kid again because skinny people are popular. It's like, whoa, where did that come from? Like, that's kind of dark and that's an ego thing. Or like, and when you become the CEO, so like, let's say I get a client and they're like, I want to be the CEO of this company or any company. I'm in pursuit. Like, I want to coach. I need someone to help me get the skills. I need the capacity. I need the capability, blah, 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 blah. And I say, so tell me, What's going to be true when you are the CEO? And then I shut up because there's a lot of answers to that question. And some of them are about ego and some of them are about contribution. But you say, how do you take someone into this unsexy, disciplined, formational life? Okay, these are the questions. You get them down into what's driving my behavior? Like what's driving my choices? What, why do I want that identity and not this identity? Here's the one. Because what are you going to do with it? Like, what is it good for? I hope it's not absolutely nothing or whatever, right? Like it's, what is it good for? What is the outcome good for? What is the achievement good for? What is the goal good for? What will it enable? Because people, then they get kind of like self-filtering and they'll be like, oh, well, well I better make it that. Like putting like things on a mantle. Like, uh, you know, you walk in and it's like, hey, here's all these awards. Here's my Grammy. I got it on the mantle. And it's like you come in and it's like, well, this person's successful. They have all these things on the mantle or they have these possessions. They have this watch. And then you're like, well, why did you, why are those up there? And more importantly, like for what reason? Oh, uh, I won this Grammy because I wrote this song that was so impactful. So like this was the result of something great I did or, um, you know, I I bought this watch on vacation. And like every time I I look at it, it reminds me of my wife, you know, and it's like something 
where it's like this deeper meaning where, um, you know, and uh, I, you know, you run into this all the time, like, oh, it's really cool. I don't know. It's something I got. Like, is there any meaning for this? Uh, yeah. And uh, like, there's nothing personal. So like, I'm sure you get into this. Like, I want all these things because yeah. this is the catalog that I view as uh, like successful to not only myself and other people, but I don't understand the deeper meaning of how this is important or more importantly, why I'm attaining these things. Yes. So, you, I mean, that makes it sexy again, right? Like if I say, why do you want to be in a position of power or why do you want to like win an Oscar or like, what does that enable or what does that give you the chance to say or be or do or influence? Like people get real, real fast. It's like, oh, well then I can just buy a bigger house. It's like, no, then they're forced to this question of like, yeah, like I want to make other things possible for the community that I came from. And it's not like, it's not branding. It's not like we give 10% of the lottery proceeds back to education and gambling addiction. <laughs> okay. No, 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 no. I don't want any of that. Why do you have the lottery? Oh, because we want to fight gambling addiction. Sorry. No, that's a weird loop. Okay. No, I want to be a CEO because I want to represent this set of sort of values and distinctions in the market, or I want to build something that creates a more circular economy or, uh, right. So like you can start to hear like, this is, this is like, you could even put this into hiring questions, right? Like, why do you want this job? Because I love power athlete and I have every uh, edition of your t-shirts of all of us listen to everything. Okay. Now, you know, you're listening to an information person. Yeah. Okay. You're, you're listening to an affiliated person. You're listening. No, if they say, dude, I want to be a part of power athlete because this is the best representation of who I am as a contributor, wherever I am. But I want to get close to it because I think you guys are, have a brand of filtering and a brand of authenticity and a brand of accountability that I stand for wherever I go. I'd like to contribute more to that. I'd like to submit myself to that. I'd like to build something that influences the market in this direction. You'd be like, okay, fuck yeah. yeah. That's exactly why you want this job. That's exactly why you want $65,000 a year or whatever it is you're asking for. Okay. There's a, that's an answer to that question uh, that we'd like. We don't like the answer, like, because you guys are like the coolest man. And I just think you guys, you know, no, 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 no. That's a transformational question. Okay. So, or answer. That's their transformation answer. Like, uh, if I, if I could wear the brand, I would finally have arrived. You'd be like, next, we don't like you, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean, uh, that's, uh, I, so when I retired from the NFL and I, I got involved with CrossFit, like I felt like the majority of people that I encountered had this idea that if they could work for CrossFit HQ or they could work in this kind of like upper management for CrossFit, it was somehow a marker of success. Yeah. Whereas I wanted no part of those Martians. I just, uh, you know, what they tasked me with in terms of, and I still remember Glassman's comment, I would like for you to help us develop our technology and how do we train athletes. Okay. And that was like super impactful for me because I never thought about training as a technology. And then when he asked me to evaluate their tech, I told them, Hey, these are all the problems I see and why you're not, why this is not an athletic form of training. Yeah. And then his comment was, well, like, uh, I don't give a shit about that. We're just doing fitness. And then okay. I was like, you know, and so like this started all this discourse, uh, at least with me. And then it was really the, the roots for power athlete where I was like, well, if, if you're not training to better yourself athletically, like, what are you doing? And more importantly, yeah. like, how are you translating this? How is these pieces? And these were the original questions. And I, like, when I think about, you know, uh, 
power athlete, like, you know, the idea of, of building something that improves people's uh, abilities and, you know, not necessarily like, well, I just, you know, thought we'd start this cool brand to sell t-shirts. No, like the t-shirts are just uh, branding representation of like all these other images. But at the end of the day, like, are you putting something out that's making people the best version of themselves? And is there a way to, you know, make it, um, you know, measurable, repeatable and have them actually see progress and also sell them the idea that there's, you know, there, like you said, there's no magic and it's hard work. And like everything is about consistency and how you're checking it. And are you doing this deal? Like, um, yeah, it's, uh, and when you talk about your own relationships that you have the same disciplines, when you talk about your marriage or when you talk about your external partnerships or, where they break, right? Like, like when you guys have decided not to do external partnerships, right? It's because something didn't jive. Like something didn't resonate with this idea of like, look, we've got this trellis and like, this is the way we do life. We're in formation. Like uh, there's no arrivals. There's no like, oh, you're good. And then you're in some category that's guru status or something, right? Like if someone doesn't fit that, they can't partner with you. And that like, you listen to that, right? You'd cut off you know, even a popular kind of a partnership or something as, as a result of this. So I'd say, okay, what is all of this good for? Well, it's good for further honing and building the relationships that you're in for helping you make decisions and for like editing, you know, like partnerships and affiliations or, or whatever you need to be doing. Those are hard things for companies to do figure out who should we partner with? How should we make this decision? Should we go forward or not? Okay. All the formational, like, you know, deeper question, all that kind of stuff, the time that you spend on it, it directly serves you in making these decisions easier. I would argue you guys or people like you who are willing to take up this sort of disciplined, formational, deep relationship, long game, um, you have a much easier time making decisions and editing things, you know, like, you know, you, your conviction is clearer. Maybe that's what I should say. Is that true? Do you think? Um, I always think that the, um, so like I, I, I constantly, um, like, you know, um, God, let me think of an analogy. Like, um, do you remember in the hunt for red October, how they would do those active pings where they would push them out and then the ping would hit the yep. other ship and then that's how they would measure distance. Love so what I, I always think about like active pinging. If I can reach out to somebody like, um, uh, I have been, uh, just through everything, like haven't been putting enough work in, in like some of the projects that I'm doing in the shop. And I hit up one of my buddies who I haven't seen in like four years, but we still, I help him with his training and he, you know, we, we still like communicate pretty often. And I was like, yeah. yo man, I, I really need some help. And he's like, I got a week off. Uh, why don't I fly out and uh, we'll just grind in the shop. And he goes, oh. I will get your project from like six months to where like you probably finish it in two weeks. He's oh. like, dude, if we do, he goes, if, if you and I work in the shop for like seven days, like I'll get you exactly where I need to go. And I was like, okay. And so he's coming out next week. And I always think like, that's a pretty good marker for, for friendship and who I am. And he's like, dude, you, uh, you, he goes, anytime I call or any questions I have, however I help, like he goes, you're always there for me. And, uh, he's like, dude, if I can come out and blast this thing out and get it done, um, and you're going to be stoked and be able to do this, like fucking let's do it. And so he's like, uh, just buy me a ticket, pay, you know, uh, put me up, uh, you know, I know, you know, I know he doesn't want to stay with at the house with a bunch of kids, but I was like, I'll put you up, we'll eat. And he goes, we'll bank some yeah. weights. We'll have a lot of fun and we'll get this project knocked out. And I'm like, 
okay. And he's like, oh, come next week. So I always think like, that's a great ping for me. And yes. that like, uh, you know, if I have friends that are willing to drop anything to come get me, whereas yep. other people are like, fuck man, if you were on fire, I wouldn't put you out with a set of golf spikes. Then right. that's a good indicator of, you know, maybe I haven't been, you know, like that's an active ping and being like, man, maybe I need to change who I am. But yes. I find all too often that if you're, you know, genuine and you help people and you do what you're supposed to do, uh, people will surprise you. And when you do like some form of active pinging like that, like, fuck man, people, you know, come out and help. And I think we see it all too often, especially within the power athlete stuff, how quickly people are, if we reach out for help, we'll fucking answer that call. Uh-huh. In a, in a opposite perspective. So I, I do a lot of coaching outside of strength now with a different sport lacrosse Kara, and find myself with, mm-hmm. I would qualify as amateur coaches. Amateur okay. leaders, they got nine to fives, they got families, and then they yes. go to use sports to, to give back to their community, but then certainly make a lot of mistakes that I would, if they were working for me, I'd fire them. But uh, then now I'm working with them on their team, but making observations, speaking to different do, setup execution. Are they receptive at all? Well, that's, that's what I was going to say. The ping would be, they are receptive. The ping would be then asking, hey, man, can you listen in? Or it becomes that. That's not everyone. But there are certain individuals that then see the authenticity of when I speak to the athletes. Or when I say, hey, man, have you thought about saying that this way? Uh, and providing okay, that, that, that feedback, so eventually it becomes uh, yeah. they keep coming back. Versus, and then there's some individuals that now just shut off. Or when I'm speaking... You know, they look away or get on their but, phone. Uh, but, but it, like, um, so I, uh, in my rhetoric stuff when we did in college, it was pretty interesting. Like the, the idea of like, you know, uh, ethos, pathos, and logos, uh, each one appeals to a different individual. So like the idea that there's these different elements of argument and then you can appeal. And what's pretty fascinating is finding which crack you could say in the wall or crack within that pot like for you to enter or for water to get out. Like if, uh, you know, you, you know, and you hear me do this when I speak, like if I were to get up and be like, oh, you know, I played 10 years in the NFL, that's going to co you know, mm-hmm. and this is what I know about performance training. That's going to cover 70% of the market. Then there's going to be the 30 that are like, this guy's an NFL player. He doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. It's genetic this. And then I talk, well, you know, not only did we do that, but when I retired, we started, uh, you know, put out this free program, taught hundreds of seminars around the globe, and I had the opportunity over nine years to literally coach tens of thousands of athletes in person and all following the same program we put out for free and basically ran this amazing fucking sea monkey experiment and fast forwarded it a level of, of information that would take people a hundred years to figure out what we were able to do in a short period of time. So then that covers more. And then on top of it, uh, not only that, but, you know, I went to Berkeley, you know, got multiple degrees, this, and like you kind of get into it. And I'm a father, you know, it's like these pieces of this kind of go in and it's like you have to enter all of these pieces into it. And if you find that you're deficient in something, you either have to find a creative way to, to pitch it in such a way. But if you want to convert 100% of that audience, you have to figure out all these different pieces, layer it into your talk. It, it very well might be you're like, hey, I paid college across. Like, here's my story. You know, not only have I done that, but I've coached at, you know, like you can build all three of those pieces. The problem is if somebody is not receptive and they listen and they're like, ah, you know what? Like, because they don't have the mental or the emotional capacity or they're there for disingenuous reasons, all the chipping isn't going to fucking crack them. 
And at that point, you just be like, all right, this guy's a hunk of shit and I'm going to fucking step on you. And there's okay. some of that. Wait, no, but, I want to weigh in now because that's super interesting. How you get after is the biggest test is if they don't work for you, right? This is like the people that work with volunteers. It's purely motivational based, right? Like they are completely voluntary, right? They can be there. They can listen to you. They can not, whatever. There's like not necessarily any consequences. It's not like you can be like, yeah, you're out, you know, or we're not paying you this week or you're excused or suspended or whatever. Like you don't have any of that power. So all you have is this kind of relational power, you know, John, that you're talking about and like what the approaches are at getting that. The other interesting thing is most most of the time, there's something that people feel hasn't been agreed on or hasn't been built that enables the like investment. And so it's interesting to like think about this dilemma because it exists also when people are hired and when there's like people on senior teams or whatever. I'd say this dynamic is sort of universal. And that is like, what are the agreements or like what needs to kind of get built in order for everybody to feel like in on it or to feel like they're going to edit themselves off of it. Like it doesn't work for them or they don't, they don't want to participate or their, their motivation doesn't get met or something like this. But like either way, the getting clearer about it is the, what is the thing people usually neglect to do or don't think to do. And so it's, it's, it's interesting because it, it kind of connects to this like purpose and importance thing. Like, okay, what's our like very common denominator about like why we're here? Like what's our aim? Kind of what's the goal? Like, are we developing young people to have sportsmanlike conduct and, you know, to be good citizens or something? Uh, Are we doing athletic development where like what we're doing is clear and like we're trying to do these progressions and like we're trying to see the outcomes and they we're evaluate we're being evaluated that way or we're evaluating ourselves this way right like there's usually some piece of infrastructure that hasn't been agreed upon or built or set so it's not unlike the massively senior team of this huge organization that doesn't have the answer to the question what's the purpose of you guys gathering in this room like for this amount of time it's like how do you bring people to like a common understanding? And I think that takes so much repetition (laughs) that like, all right, purpose and importance of us being together here in this configuration today is it's not just for the new people. It's for all y'all who have been here and now are checked out or whatever, or it's for me to remember like how I need to lead. Um, And that like, it's an interesting conundrum that like you're talking about, which is like respect or attention or motivation or like agreement around like, what are we here for? And what are we trying to accomplish is like a very basic question that everyone has every time we do anything. Like, why am I in this kind of a line at Southwest Airlines rather than that kind of a line at United Airlines? Like they don't check this. Why do you? Uh, why do they, people are always asking these questions. doesn't matter what you're doing. Why are we doing it this way? Why is that person driving so slow up there? (laughs) Nana McCulkin, like up at the front, you'd be like, Oh, I'm sorry, because I have two huge things of soup that I'm trying to like transport. So I'm taking it like I'm being exaggerated. No, it makes sense. Right. But it's like, how do we get closer to that? Okay. We just get really fucking explicit. Like (laughs) what are 
Dearly beloved, we are gathered here in this configuration to do what? And leaders forget that this is actually a massive part of their job. And so I love the ping analogy because this is a leader's opportunity to ping. And like, I'm totally obsessed with Sean Connery. Uh, so it's like one <laughs> ping only or yeah. one ping only. One ping for silly. One <laughs> ping only. Oh, it's one of my favorite, uh, it's one of my favorite moments in that the guy like, captain you know all nervous and he's like you gotta yeah. shoot a ping but, he's like, but they're the, gonna know our position i'm like and that's that part like that's the idea and guess what if we don't ping and set up the mutuality and do the agreements what happens in the book in the movie when we, they don't do it well do you remember what the sabotage was uh the nuclear spoiler reactor alert. no spoiler alert if you haven't read or watched the 80s movie it's the guy down below going bang 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 at the bottom of the submarine he exposes your location because he's not in on the thing. He doesn't understand. He's not connected. He's whatever. And so it's like, even the like rebel force, even the enemy, you know, like thing, like it will get your location will get out. Like the ping is going to occur. Like, are you going to be the one that authors the ping even against like competitors, right? Like, they were doing the ping like across enemy lines to figure out if they could coordinate, right? So they're in one big effort, this big like espionage, like kind of wartime effort, whatever, but like they were trying to lead it without letting things sabotage from underneath. But like, that's the thing, like leaders have to be on it. They've got to build the mutuality. They've got to do the messaging. They've got to build the agreements. They've got to operate like gentlemen's agreements above board. Like all this stuff has to get built. It's the unsexy leader part so that you can ping clear and get back a ping. And like, you've got that nice mutuality. You've got the agreements set. You've got purpose and motivation in line. Like these are the overtimes. Low relationship disciplines, the foundational stuff. Otherwise, you get the Russian dude at the bottom of the submarine banging away and like you're bummed because it'll give you all away, you know? Anyways, I took the analogy too far, but no, clearly, I've, 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 I love too. it. I love it. I, uh, yeah, no, it, it's, it's great. And nobody's above it. It's just nobody is above this. No leader doesn't have to do this work. That's, a, again, unpopular coaching number 104. No leader is above the task of setting up the agreements, setting up the purpose and importance, setting up the ethos, getting people to a different level and a different layer of meaning and motivation. Like, this is the leader's work. And if you're willing to do that and take responsibility for all of that formational activity... You get to reap the rewards that no one really celebrates. It's the deep relationship over time. It's the deep integrity over time. It's the one ping only and a whole army comes back to respond. Like sure. these are the things of life that are worth achieving. So if you can make those your goals, not these little goals, we're going to make $10 million. Okay. That's a for what, you know, like, Anyways, I'm with well, you. Now. Well, the, the the other thing I think is, uh, you know, like, hey, like, um, you know, let's say you want to make $10 million and it's like, uh, like, okay, so, you know, thinking about like the bucket list thing and you're like, is it, like, that's on nobody's bucket list. It's like, hey, like, these are the things I got to do. And uh, I was thinking, I'm like, man, how sad would it be to leave laying on your deathbed and be like, 
man, here are all the things that I wanted to do that I never got a chance to do because I was so focused on, on this I'm, and the, uh, where this kind of came from is my mom. Um, and I had an interesting conversation about one of our neighbors and she's like, Oh, I saw so-and-so. And I was like, Oh, and she made an interesting point. She's like, they have a terrible relationship with their kids. Their kids fucking hate them. And I was like, Oh really? Like, uh, cause I mean, it's probably my parents age. So they're probably like seventies, eighties. And she's like, they, they haven't spoken to their kids in years. And I was like, wow, that's awful. And uh, he's like, yeah, well, they, uh, they were like the, the parents were so focused on work that, you know, with this idea of like retirement and like, I think the dad worked for IBM and like this idea of like, you know, worked and, you know, building retirement and this, and this one day they were going to retire and do all this stuff. And uh, she's like, they weren't involved with their kids at all. And she's like, they don't speak to their kids. I'm like, oh, did they ever get a, did they ever retire and do what they wanted to do? And he's like, no, he retired and they just putz around the house. They never did any of the shit they ever talked about. And I'm like, so you're saying that like, they basically worked their whole fucking lives uh, for some goal and, you know, like didn't have a good relationship with their kids. And when they did retire, he just puts around the house and they didn't do any of the things they wanted to. And now they don't really have a relationship with their kids and their grandkids, any of that. She's like, pretty much. I was like, wow. She's like, yeah, they were always fucking assholes. And she's like, and that's, I mean, if you know my mom, that's how she's like, she's pretty blunt. <laughs> she's like a cool broad. Oh yeah. But no, my mom's, uh, my mom is, yeah, she's, but she just like talks shit on them. And she's like, you know what? She's like, uh, um, you know what? Like basically like, you know, they probably, like, it's kind of harsh, but like, you know, can you, and, and her thing is like, can you imagine the level of failure? And she's like, they were the fucking worst. I mean, just was killing these people. And she's like, what? Like the guy busted his ass. They busted their ass to put all this money to retire. They never did anything. And now they don't fucking have any relationship with their kids. She's like, shit, my grandkids call me all the time. I got taco Tuesday, you know, and it was kind of an interesting thing for that, that deal. But she's like, and, uh, yeah, that was a interesting conversation when people get to be that age at the end of like, like the end of the fight, like all of a sudden, like the fact, like, oh, I haven't spoken to my kids in a couple years. It's like, what do you mean? I just talked to all my kids like 10 minutes ago. Like to hear that. And she's like, oh God, what a, what a fucking terrible life to live. Oh, and that's just about the worst one to stomach, you know, ever. And there are like layers up from that, you know, like that's really horrid. Right. Um, and but that like even lesser versions of that feel really horrible. So like even to retire, let's say you had 35 years at IBM and like, what can you answer the question? Like, and so the influence of my time and work and like body of knowledge or contribution there was what, like, who did it influence? Who did it develop? Um, what did it influence in the market? What did it influence in the company? Like, who did it influence? Who did it inspire? Like, talk to me about the impact of those things. Um, like, that's a, also a pretty devastating question. You know, it's not the loss of a relationship with your children, but it's the loss of the answer to a very, very deep primitive question, which is, did the work that I do and my presence on this earth sort of make an impact or have an influence in anything lasting? Uh, most of us have that deep question and many people are never able to answer it. So it's like, well, okay, then what do we do right now at age 45, 35 to 45 or whatever, right? Like that's who we are. Okay. Uh, we ask ourselves right now in the next 30 to 60 days, in the next 365 days, who will I impact? Who will I develop? 
Who will I make an impression upon? Um, who will I contribute to? What? What will I impact, influence, contribute to? Right? Like, that's a very fair question because literally in 30 days, you can do that. That's there's no magic to that number. And it's maybe it's 34 days. And like you've got to convince yourself. This is one of those like, I have a goal of making vice president. Okay, that's cool because. When you're a vice president, what will you be able to do? Well, then I'll be able to make things easier for other people. Well, okay, yes. Um, like, but like, what's the meaning of that? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, it's helping others figure out what their contribution is. Convincing yourself that the work that you put in away from your family, perhaps it's required or your gifts, your contribution, your experience, your whatever went to multiply itself. I mean, I said that before, like how do you convince yourself that you're a force multiplier? Uh, there are not many people that can actually answer the question, am I a force multiplier? Yes, I am. Let me tell you how. Not many people can do that. I will tell you not many leaders can do that. They usually say, hey man, I'm slogging it out up here. And then once I get to that other position, then I can become a force multiplier. But then by then they are not living a formational life. They don't have any of the disciplines. They have none of the benefits or the returns to get any motivation to actually begin it there. You have to begin it now. And then once you're in this massively, you know, authoritative, powerful position, you're already in practice, man. You're already disciplined. You already live a formational life. So it's just the way you do. And like, then you've got the power to actually influence a whole system to Man, be a form. You sound like every person that we've ever talked to within the fitness space that's yes. tr that's in the process of getting ready to get ready. Like, uh, hey, uh, uh -huh. you know, um, I want to follow a program and I, I you know, I, I want to do all this, mm -hmm. but uh, I can't start for 30 days or I have this yeah. limitation. My Achilles, and I, I still with my, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, Hey, uh, you know, when, when I'm pre or uh, when I'm vice president, I'll do this. And it's like, I hear this, uh, like endlessly. And I'm like, if it was really important, you would have already started and you'd be telling me about your progress. Uh, like, you know, like our, our, uh, dude on third monkey, you know, sending us those videos of him training on his stoop with like cinder blocks yep. and this. And he, he came to our block one and he was like, man, this thing saved my life. Like, dude, I've, I've slay it. And, uh, it's like, dude, if it was important, you would have already strapped in. You would have already fucking plugged in. You wouldn't be fucking hitting me up and asking me for a discount code or this. You'd be three months in sending me your progress, telling me how great it is and fucking changing your life. And it's like, I always... For the, not to be misunderstood, Peter, you fucking kicked ass. Dude, uh... John's speaking about somebody else that hasn't no, started No, no, I'm not talking about Peter. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about like, that was the best I can hope for is to not only... Like get tagged in those videos, see that training, have them come to the block one, get a chance to meet them and be like, fuck yeah, this is, this is what I hope for everybody. I mean, the idea of like, um, I've made a life change. This is my progress. This is how I'm using this and to be impactful. And it's like all too often, man, it's like the, uh, you know, people will, if it's important, there will be no barriers, but I think people put up barriers because they don't actually want to do it, but it just fucking sounds cool which I think is it happens on social media all the time where people like put this shit out there just to sound cool. And I'm like, this is zero substance. Yes. Cause if you would, if, if you were going to do it, you'd be telling me about it. Yes. And, and, and they never will get after it until they understand what the benefits are because we are, we've talked about this before, rational, economical, like self preserving creatures 
And so we only will change our behavior, motivate up, be disciplined in if we see the return or if we understand the benefit. We are cost-benefit analysis, even if it's psychological. And so what we haven't done a good job of is talking about the benefits of a disciplined life, of a formational life, the joy, the deep joy, the deep contentment, the deep integrity, the deep mutuality, the richness of relationship, the intimacy of a disciplined life. We don't talk about that. We celebrate these, you know, Instagram things and it's like super gold, shiny, whatever. Those are the, I mean, I'm saying we, we do this, right? Like I am not out there talking about the deep joy that is like, uh, returned to a leader who's willing to answer this purpose and importance question with their senior team of their corporate organization as a discipline. Like, but I'm telling you, it's remarkable. Like they don't look like a revival. Like they don't look like a transformational guru. They don't, they look like someone who leads a senior team in a corporate environment, but guess what? They don't do 3am scaries and like their spouse loves them working and like doing their contribution thing and whatever. And they can, they can answer the question. I have influence and I have importance and I don't have wounds that scare me, you know, out of shadows and stuff. Right. Like, and that, that doesn't get talked about a whole lot. So it's like, we have to like help people see the returns or the benefits of a disciplined formational life. And, and I mean, you guys have some role in this. How do you preach out? Like, dude, we can pivot because of what we've built. (laughs) Like we have like insanely awesome seismic foundation and that's relational and that's sort of organizational and that's credibility and all these things that we've built over time since 2009, 2013, whatever, whenever it began. Well, it started way before that. I mean, uh, before that I played for the NFL in 10 years and then, you know, college and you know, I mean, the fact that uh, we'll get on this podcast and at least me, I'll, I'll tell some anecdotes from, you know, training in this old man's garage when I was 14 or 15 years old that I still carry with me to this day. And the interesting thing is uh, nothing. I mean, and I know like, you know, we change, but like the the simplicity of what we do has never really ever altered. Like it's still based on, like you said, formation, hard work, getting up like we still I mean, every morning we start our day by meeting in the gym and I see you guys. And I'm like, here we are. What are we doing today? Pinky, same thing we do every day, brain, take over the world or, you know, pinky yep. and brain. But that well, idea of like consistency and like, this is how yep. it's going to work. And like, uh, you know, my wife is, uh, is probably one of the most, um, like what's the right word? Um, like patterns, like she gets like in a routine and like, it does not deviate. And oh. it's like when she starts deviating out of her routine, I can tell like your OCD or whatever it is, like she starts yeah. to get it. I'm like, she's just like, I just got to get in the routine. And when the routine changes, all of a sudden there's fr- friction. But I can tell like where she is to the point where like I know where she is in her day based upon like certain things like this. And it, it's but like that's for her in the consistency. And she's right. like, as a mom with three kids. If you didn't have this, I don't know how you would live your life. You'd be fucking, you know, drinking yourself uh, to sleep every night. Like, like there's comfort in the routine and there's comfort in knowing that these pieces and this is how it all works. Cause if not, like if you lived in, in flux, like that would be fucking awful. 
Well, and here's the real paradox of that. And so I'm a parent too. And so we have these conversations, you know, uh, in our, in my house and with our friends who are parents too. And, uh, very similar to leadership. I will say, I don't think I have any Freudian problems with saying that, but that people will experience freedom if the boundaries are well-defined, if the, um, the rhythms of life or the patterns of life are, are pretty well consistent over time and they feel pretty sturdy, we feel freedom because we can predict them. And that like, if we do need to do like, let's go to donuts, like let's just fuck the program and go to donuts, right? Like it feels really fun because it doesn't feel scary because our children know, or our partners know that like, we'll get back on the thing. Like we're back to it. It's, it's, it's so sturdy over time, long haul that like, if we kind of make it spontaneous or if something hits it, like, you know, kind of meteors it like, Ooh, pandemic, we're not going to school. Okay. Okay. Uh, the system is sturdy enough because it's built itself well, that it can do this spontaneity and it can do disruption and it can, because there's an underlying understanding that we are who we are and we've got our foundation and okay. Organizations are not different from that. If we're good about keeping boundaries and holding steady and having good foundation, playing a long game and reminding people of who we are and what we stand for and what our behavior is and isn't, we can take disruption. We can call an audible. We can be spontaneous and have the freedom within the structure. Like it sounds like a paradox, but it's not. It's like, it's the way humans do it. And if we don't have it, right? If we're like this guru thing where it's all, like you say, in flux, organizations are full of insecure people that don't know what's coming next. And they, what they do, they create their own kind of structure and they get all these grips around their own territory and their own project. Like this thing's fucking mine. And like, I don't know what the chaos is out there. I can't trust any of this. I can't trust the leader to be credible or believable over time. So I'm just going to really like fucking crank down on my thing that I can control. And then you're like, Oh my gosh, what happened to our thing? Well, these people don't have any sense of security. So they have no freedom at all. They crank down and make territory. I mean, it's a terrible pattern, but overall, I'm just saying like the boundaries, the consistency, the disciplined life of an organization or a family or a person, it ultimately gives a paradoxical benefit of freedom to adjust and reorient knowing what's foundational, knowing what is sort of static and good. Is there any undoing of that? If that person does go down that path, the individual, whether it's the organization or the family. They got to quit and you got to get rid of them. Well, if they're family, <laughs> it's not like an employee. You can't choose yours, John. <laughs> Super interesting. Like if a leader identifies, like let's say a leader comes to me and they're like, God, everyone's so territorial. I can't figure it out. Like why do they all feel so protective of all their own like expertise in their own projects or their own divisions or departments. Um, I will start asking questions about like, what, what are the agreements? What is the, what's the common thing? What is our, um, like, what do we share? What's the affiliation? And like, usually what we discover is that it's very low that they set up their own teams and their own divisions because 
the big team, like the big division is not well formed. It doesn't feel secure and the boundaries are are fishy and fluxy, you know, and, and that like, you got to start building that. So it, it comes to a very mature team having to ask questions that sound immature. So this team's been going for 22 years, one of my clients and everybody's been had a long tenure in the organization, but they have this illness of, they don't know what the purpose and importance of them being together in that for that leadership team is. I mean, they know they got to like communicate and they know they're kind of advocating for their own division and this whole thing. But like, I have to be the person because nobody's compensation is decided by me. You know, like I get to be the person to say like, okay, why are we here? And like, what are we here to do? These sound like basic questions, but you are confused and you show up confused and the whole organization's confused. So if you want to organize and you want to get headed in some direction, you've got to, somebody's got to be brave enough to ask some really basic questions and start to rebuild. And this, sometimes it means editing. You're right, John. Sometimes it means some people don't fit and the beauty, the, the really beautiful thing is when the, you start to get clear and you start to ask these difficult questions, people usually edit themselves. They're like, oh shit, those big questions are coming and I don't want to be a part of them. I'd rather just be in my small universe where no one messes with me and like I kind of control my shit and like I'm territorial. I'm like, that's, that's my comfort zone. So they watch the team start to get better. They start to like ask questions, give feedback, like get better. And they edit themselves. Never fails. Somebody, somebody usually sniffs it out and they're like, shit, I can't do bullshit in here. I just got to edit myself. It's beautiful when it happens. It's beautiful. Now, sometimes you got to do the editing for help them with their editing. But a lot of times, if you get clear, people read it fast and get out. So what are the takeaways? I mean, we've, uh, uh, you know, we've, we've covered so much ground here. I'm sitting here like, I got to go back over my notes, but like, what are, uh, like, give me two takeaways that, like, people that you would influence or, like, if you were talking, you know, as you're talking to, you know, the, you know, uh, tens of people that listen to this podcast, like, what are, what's one thing or two things that they could action today to not only improve the quality of your life, but be better leaders? I think asking yourself, if you have goals, are they deep enough to answer your questions that drive the creation of those goals in the first place. Most people, the answer is no. Those goals are not good enough. They're not deep enough. They're not layered enough. They don't have enough influence or long game built into them to satisfy your actual question. So check your goals. Um, If they're superficial, get better. You could do better. Um, the other thing is what do you need to build in order to be able to have these questions stay in the middle of your work with the people that you work with all the time? The tendency can be to feel like they're too basic to be like, okay, like seriously, What's our highest and best? What is what is it? What's our like highest and best contribution? This team, us right now. It doesn't mean anything's broken. It doesn't mean anything needs fixing. It's just let's answer this question. Like 
for ourselves and ongoing. Let's be willing to revise the answer over time. Let's not wait for a new person or wait to get rid of the toxic person or wait till we get promoted or whatever the thing, right? Like, are we contributing? Do we, are we having the influence that we want to have on the market, on the people, on the, whatever it is. Um, so I think that, I think maybe those would be, if I was Callie, okay. Those maybe would be my two. <laughs> and then I would like pick up on the like intro, you know, <laughs> Callie, no. yeah, Callie, no. yeah. <laughs> tell her to call me. <laughs> I don't know. You should tell me what's the most compelling. I sell this shit every day. I'm with the leaders and the teams. Oh, the tables have turned. Oh, you tell um, me what um, was what's worth I, it. What was worth it? Like you won't offend me. Tell me what. No, what no I I think um, the one thing that if I could give everybody like uh you know like Halloween candy that show up to the door and I could give them is uh like uh, a lollipop of authenticity. Um, I like want to like create like a whole brand of like basically suckers, lollipops that are just like authentic, like authentic and be like, here you go. Here's your authentic sucker. Suck on this thing and search for authenticity because to me it looks hollow. It looks shallow. Uh, it looks, um, like it's confusing. It's fucking ugly. And, and more importantly, it just feels disingenuous. And I feel like worse for being a part of it. And I think like, uh, a lot of times, um, like, uh, let's give you an example. Uh, Nick Kyle hit me up yesterday and he was like, I have some, um, you know, ideas on pivoting on my business. I'd like to look, work with powerlifters more. How do I get involved in that? And he's like, you know, uh, he's like, I respect your opinion. What do you think? Do I got to become a powerlifter? I'm like, I just think you have to find some high level people change their life and, you know, start looking at that. Like how did Stu McGill get into this thing? And like, you know, that idea of like authenticity became, and that, that was my comment to him. I'm like, it has to be authentic. Um, you know, there's a lot of disingenuous people out there, but because yep. people can't search for authenticity and they have no, you know, there's, there's no fucking blue check for authenticity where like, Hey, we fact check this guy and it's fucking accurate. Yes. <laughs> and, um, that's the one thing that I would give people is like, how do you strive for authenticity and like, like, like helping people navigate the bullshit so that like shit that's disingenuous, but just looks shiny and new and, and poppy and, you know, fucking great camera angles and this and, a, you know, uh, whatever. And, uh, you know, actually put the work into to extend and just do better. And I, I love your idea about uh, bigger goals, you know, because I think everybody's goals are so transactional. Right. Like I want to make more money. OK, for what? Yes. Like, what's Same. more money going to do? You for know, what? like. Yeah. For what? And, um, like that's a huge question. So I think the, uh, lollipop of authenticity, there's also a lollipop of mediocrity where, you know, people, you suck on that thing one time and you're mediocre forever. I, I do have one final question, but to, to my takeaways, the biggest observation is goal setting. And that that's why we put it into the trainer course because it is so valuable, but people just don't do it. The first step is the hardest and that's write it down. No matter what it is, write it down. They don't but now I love the language you've introduced for a, a formational goal, formational life, and then identifying info versus transformational. And yeah. then in, in respect, Kara, I got one final question, and this oh, yeah. is uh, a struggle that, this has been a struggle for me for a long time, going back to all the way my days as just a high school athlete, in identifying high performers versus low performers. The lick of the lollipop of mediocrity and then uh, I feel there's answers within that people edit themselves out. 
because I've had personal conflict within them on teams in the past, whether I'm working with them or a teammate with them in respect to sports. But then like, is, are there, have I been wrong in saying, okay, high performers versus low performers? Like, is that even the right labels for people? Do other organizations and leaders have that same thing where they've identified low performers and they have conflict with them? Here's a massive piece of conflict, which is like Mythbusters 72 or whatever. And that is high potential. So this is how it shows up in corporate world version of what you're talking about. High performers, high potential potentials, hypos, right? And that like they get identified as this and then they get treated as such and they get this kind of resourcing and whatever. Okay, we know tons and tons of data, both empirical and anecdotal, that that is like the death of anything. So you label someone a high performer, you label someone a high potential. It's not a visualization thing where then it becomes their identity. It just doesn't work. That does not work. So uh, we know now that actually... It's the system and how you build the system and its processes and its stage gates or its curriculum or whatever that filters low performance. So it's not that the people are low performers or high potentials or high performers or whatever. What it does is like you build a system that filters out low performance and unleashes high performance, high potential. So What's interesting is this puts the responsibility back on the ball club, the company, the uh, senior team, the de- leader development, whatever. It puts, the, it puts the onus back on the system to say, you can't tolerate low performance, right? Unless your business is developing low performance, okay? Some people, are, that's their business. <laughs> They're an exception, low performance developers. You're out. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm developing out. shitty people. So that's what we do here. We're, we're developing shitty people oh, that. Uh... <laughs> Are you shitty? Come on over, call 1 800. We develop you. Hey, no, those people yeah, yeah. are on the radio. So we're talking about how do you build a system where low performance gets just edited? Uh, either they edit themselves because they can't contend or the stage gates and the like all the movement and all the curriculum edits that out. So you've heard the phrase, you'll get what you tolerate. You'll keep what you tolerate. Uh, This is true about systems. So you, we can decide there's low performers, high performers, high potentials, whatever we want. Our system will retain and develop whatever we design it to retain and develop. So you guys know you build block one, people are going to get through block one that you determine meet these criteria and these standards and these capacities, okay? Nobody's gonna get through it like for effort or for belonging or friendship. No, those things don't like apply. Okay, any team, corporate, cause leadership, athletics, whatever, you build it to edit what you don't want and to reinforce and unleash what you do want. Don't name anybody anything, make your system do the work triangulate that shit out because guess what it does takes out all the subjectivity too. So you need things built into it. I mean, there's like, who's the guy who's the coach for Bill Belichick. He's like the career development coach. He's like the, um, the character development guy. He's what's his fucking name. Uh, regardless, I'll figure it out. It's like Beasley or something like that. Anyways, he works with the players 
in order to develop high performance. He edits low performing mindsets. He edits low performing thinking or whatever. So supposedly like, I don't know him. Right. But like, supposedly he's in support of a system that has many checks and balances to try to get rid of, or at least not tolerate low performing mindsets and low performance physically. Right. Like these are that you, like you kind of get what I'm saying here, right? Like the system has to be built to do the editing. You can't depend on the people to edit or to just the people to get more high performing. It doesn't, doesn't happen. It's like the thing, your filters will do the work. That's what I have to say. <laughs> okay. Wait, what were you going to say, Tex? You were going to say something uh, back. The Texans hired that guy, paid him big money. And then that, or that organization itself took a dump, but Oh, I understand what you are referencing and how oh. how I can apply. The best it. part about the NFL, if you're a low performer, they just fire you. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, no, That's it's 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 I'm fucking saying. great. You're like so like if you're not performing at a high level, like yes. I mean, unless they paid you a whole bunch of money and they're willing yes. to ride it out, but if somebody's a low performer, they're yep. gonna fucking let you know, and you're probably gonna be out of a job real soon. And, that, and I, I heard that. You already knew it. You yeah. already knew it. You didn't catch. You didn't block. You didn't throw, you didn't score. You already knew it. You knew, right? Like he, high performers don't need to be told they're high performers. High potentials don't need to be told they're high potentials because they just perform. Okay. Yeah. Organizations have to be places where people just perform. And if they don't, they edit out. They don't ever choose it and you don't tolerate it. So it's not hardcore as I'm saying. I mean, you're not an asshole. It's just the system is built to to filter that out. Like it just is. So <laughs> results, results. And if you want to build people, you want to develop them. That's okay. You need to be doing that, right? Like that's your job. Yeah. Like I said, like you bring in your character development person, you bring in your mindset development person, you bring in your capacity builders and like this kind of thing. Yes, you should do that. You should resource your people. You should build leaders. That needs to be part of your disciplined practice. You need to build a pipeline. You got to go long game with your whole leader you know, succession and all this stuff, but you don't drag people that like clearly don't understand what performance is and like are never going to get it. And you can't find their motivation. It's like that goes away. That goes away. Your system can't tolerate that. That's kind of hardcore, but well, no, it's great. Powerful. Well, I thank mean, you. If anybody's uh, going to Yeah, get no, it. it's, it, yeah, no, it's great. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Takeaways on takeaways. I, no, it's, it's fuck. I got like 50 pages of notes I'm going to have to go through. Doc, thank you so much for taking the time to come on Power Athlete Radio. You're always one of the uh, more enlightened, recharging individuals that I ever get a chance to talk to. So thank you so much. And I, and I know you had to rearrange for your shovel ceremony. So well, she was you. moving the dirt, John. <laughs> always moving the dirt. So no, you know thanks, what? Doc. Performers going to perform, and that's what we're doing. So Players uh, going to play. We meet each other there. We meet each other there. Yeah, one ping only. We got it. We're on mutual terms, right? Like I see you in pursuit and, um, and I can meet you there. So thank you for inviting me. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Okay. Guys, thanks for tuning into another episode of power athlete radio. The premier podcast in strength and conditioning amongst other things. Yeah. Thank you, doc. Thanks. Move the dirt. Bye. Bye. <laughs> now it's time for you to empower your performance. You can find the awesome Dr. Kara Miller on Instagram at developmental coach. Until next time, bye! Go down.